You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 594. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 16th of November, Ein I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 594 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-new station in the nation, 1010 Winds on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, an almost retired pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me from his studio in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Hi, hi there, Jeff. Uh, lovely to be back on the One Foot in the Grave podcast. <laughs> it's great to have you here, but you're always ahead of me. <laughs> Does my uh, little audio piece there say pull up or pull out? I can't quite make it out. Mm, pull up. Thank you very okay, much. Fair enough. Yeah. And joining us, thankfully, from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired fan of... Yeah, yeah. Financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. You know, for a podcast, you're having an awful lot of trouble speaking, Jeff. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's getting worse as I get older. Um, you know, soon I won't I be able that, to say that a thing. Wine is... <laughs> I, I just had like two sips of wine. That's it. I That's all it takes nowadays. This, have you seen this uh, comment in our chat room? I'm not sure what this is all about. Uh, uh, oh, oh, there you go. Uh oh. Uh oh. I guess we are in trouble. Um, this is from the FCC USA Federal Communications Commission. This program is specifically designed to be viewed by adults and therefore may be unsuitable for children under 17. Now, who, who did that? Who? <laughs> I don't know. Is that Neil again? Uh, I, I'd like Probably. to know who's uh, up to the. Uh, the, the the pranks. I'm trying to look at the little little image. It looks like a, a policeman with wings on, like an angel. I, I think it's supposed to be their shield, like their logo. I oh think. right, okay. I don't know. 
Well, anyway, it doesn't affect me because anyway. uh, I'm not in America. Hey, Neither hey. am I. So you're in trouble, Jeff. Bye. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this may be my last podcast, and I uh, just wanted to tell everybody how much I love you, and I hope that uh, you'll enjoy the show when Liz and Captain Nick take over. Stand by for news. All righty. We're going to start off with this from the FAA, the government, FAA.gov. The Federal Aviation Administration will establish a pilot mental health aviation rulemaking committee, ARC, to provide recommendations on breaking down the barriers that prevent pilots from reporting mental health issues to the agency. Mental health care has made great strides in recent years, and we want to make sure The FAA is considering those advances when we evaluate the health of pilots, said FAA Administrator Mike Whitaker. Pilots must report certain mental health conditions to their aviation medical examiners who are trained to determine the pilot's fitness to fly. The ARC will include medical experts and aviation and labor representatives. The FAA will finalize the charter for the rulemaking committee and appoint the panel of experts in the coming weeks. It will build on previous work the FAA has done to prioritize pilot mental health, including increasing mental health training for medical examiners, supporting industry-wide research and clinical studies on pilot mental health, hiring additional mental health professionals to expand in-house expertise, and to decrease wait times for return-to-fly decisions. Ooh, that's a good one. Completed uh, clinical research and amended policy to decrease the frequency of cognitive testing in pilots using antidepressant medications and increasing outreach to pilot groups to educate them on the resources available. In addition, the FAA will work with the uh, ARC, what was that again? The Aviation Rulemaking Committee uh, to address open recommendations from the July 2023 DOT Office of Inspector General report on pilot mental health challenges which found that the agency has comprehensive procedures to evaluate pilots' psychological health. And uh, so, view videos, listen to the FAA podcast about pilot mental health and uh, featuring Dr. Susan Northrup, the FAA's federal air surgeon. So that's going to be in our show notes if you want to watch that uh, those videos and listen to the FAA podcast. There's also a fact sheet on men- pet- pilot mental health oversight. Is there a... Uh, some kind of committee to help uh, pilots um, speak Diction. better, uh, <laughs> not trip Diction. over. Well, I think it's the same committee, quite honestly. It's all in the mind, Jeff. Huh? <laughs> okay. So uh, what event, <laughs> or all in the bottle in your case, um, what was the event that uh, that precipitated this, do you think? Well, it was many events. Anything, but, anything uh, to do with our... A mushroom eating jump seat yeah, pilot. That, that would that. be one. Um, but <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure that that would have precipitated because they talked about uh, they had a uh, some kind of a panel addressing recommendations in July of 2023. Right. So even before the the mellow mushroom uh, dude and the uh, pulling a gun, the, dude. The, the, the guy, you know, pulling the gun, the uh, yep. lieutenant colonel re, uh, reserve. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Let's see if I can find that. There we go. Pretty pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so this well, is that's, that's good because I thought this might be just a knee jerk and they thought they'd better do something. But if they've already had this in the works, that is brilliant because we have certainly had enough of our listeners write in and expose the difficulties they've had with dealing with the medical professionals in this field. I thought you were talking about the people that have written in complaining about our mental health. So I'm glad you, <laughs> well, you didn't say they, that. They haven't got a leg to stand up. on. Yeah, we just given up. Delete. Delete. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we don't want to hear from you anymore. Um, so, um, I, you know what? There's some, uh, some somewhat related feedback. I'm going to do, do an audible here and go to um, uh, feedback number five from Paul Urochek. And I have to just figure out which one of these it was that um, he um, had a had a question for us, or uh, I think it's this one. Here, let's take a listen. Hello, this is Paul from between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Hello to Jeff, Rick, Liz, Nick, Dr. Stuffing, Macho Man. Speedpipe just loves limiting me, and this is take number seven, so I'm going to try to squeeze it in there this time. We were talking about a captain who had a gun pulled on him by his first officer that's what she said what do you do to avoid a situation like that it is so rare that that even ever happens but you ever talk to your first officer and say hey did you get enough sleep how you feeling um you know do you ever use any exploratory questions just kind of nonchalantly every now and then just to make sure you feel that your first officer is safe? Is that in the procedures? Is that something that maybe should be incorporated? Just because you're not a psychiatrist, but you are ultimately responsible for the safety of the flight. What do you guys think about something like this? All right. Okay. Got an incoming call there, Paul. Uh, you might want to get that. Um, so at uh, Paul's expense, I'm going to have some fun. Um, let's see here. Speed pipe. Just love it. It's, it's speak pipe. Speak pipe, not speed Speaking pipe. down the pipe to and us. And then uh, let's see. Well, it, obviously a speed pipe as well because it goes too fast. Yeah, maybe that's why he's <laughs> referring to it as speed pipe. Because <laughs> it's yeah. 90 seconds. You're right. Yeah, okay, wait. Right. Yeah. And then uh, this this part, oh, maybe you guys can tell me what he's saying here. What do you do to avoid a situation like that? It is so rare that that even ever happens. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> well, you have another beer, and then you say, "It's so rare." Does that ever happen? That even ever. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Paul. Pepsi saying, "Does that even ever happen?" <laughs> I, I'm sure that speed pipe. Just messing about ah, with it. That's got <laughs> Anyway, it, he poses a really good question. Um, so, mm. uh, what would you say about that, Captain Nick? Oh, yeah, you're quite right, Paul. We are we are not professionals, but we do have a responsibility. And um, I always talk to my first officers in a very casual uh, way when we first met, because uh, it's quite likely you've never seen this bloke before. Um, and, uh, you know, just ask a, you know, just nice general conversational questions, just get them talking a bit and, uh, you know, just watch them. And it's not in a specific way to observe it, but I think you'd soon spot if they um, were doing something that didn't quite strike you as correct or normal or standard. Have you ever had qualms about any so, of your friends? Uh, yeah, I 
don't think I ever remember being concerned that, you know, perhaps uh, someone who was obviously suffering from a bit of a cold, uh, you know, you sure you're fit to fly? Um, but um, I, I wouldn't really quiz them. And I would, if I was a, well, when I was a first officer, I would have felt quite aggrieved if my captain had pinned me to the wall and started questioning me, uh, trying to elicit some sort of reply that might indicate my fitness to fly because I took very seriously the requirement for me to pitch up to work fit and well and able to fly the sortie. So it was kind of a taken uh, that, you know, you, you were fit because that's, you know, first officer or not, that's your responsibility. So, yeah. That's what I was going to say as well. Uh, anything that would be, um, I, I think anything obvious you would, you would pick up on and notice uh, odd behaviors, slurred speech, the smell of alcohol, um, you know, interesting or odd comments out of context, that kind of thing. That would be something that and it's fortunately never happened to me in my coming up on 35 years in a couple of weeks of um, char or scheduled uh, air carrier flying and, and, and another seven uh, in the Air Force as well. So I've never been in this situation where I had to kind of question whether, you know, somebody was fit or not mentally. And uh, there is a, something that we have to uh, sign, and now it's completely a digital uh, signature. Uh, they just implemented that at ACME uh, on the 1st of November or 2nd November, like just a few days ago, um, that uh, basically verifies or, or you attest to the fact that you are, as far as you can uh, assess, ac uh, yeah, assess, uh, that you are in condition uh, to... Uh, be a crew member on this flight, or in my case, uh, be in charge, be the commander of uh, the safe operation of the flight. And so I just have to, as Captain Nick just mentioned, I have to assume, unless there's something really obvious, that the person that I'm flying with is mentally there and physically as well. So yeah, we don't do any uh, kind of testing or Although no, I do hand out like a five-page test that they have to take while we're in the van from the <laughs> hotel to the... just go in the corner and fill out this psychological <laughs> e evaluation for me? What, is yeah. the, what are those little ink spot... Uh, Rorschach, Rorschach, Rorschach uh, test, thing? Yeah. I do that Rorschach. test, yeah. you know, just for fun. <laughs> That's right. What can you see in this picture? <laughs> anyway, so... But that was a good question, Paul. And um, and when when Nick said that we're not professionals, he meant to say we're not professional psychiatrists, <laughs> but we are professional <laughs> pilots, or or he was, oh, yeah. and I well, some am, of us were. and I am going to be uh, for just a little tiny bit of a, a time. Uh, so yeah, effectively, I'm no longer a professional pilot. Anyway, and then a lot of people would argue I never was. <laughs> are they still paying uh, you, Jeff? Uh, they are. Well, I think you still count as a professional. That's right. Yeah, I get paid for my service, although I'm not providing any uh, services. Uh, well, I think that's irrelevant. Yeah. That's what she said. All right. Uh, I <laughs> okay, think that uh, it's time great. to move on to this next one, which Liz says is great. Uh, let's see. Well, and several have purposes. suggested that we cover it, uh, including um, James from Kent in the UK. Who's is, that us, the, uh, is that the yeah. sir, the, the, the knight that we have uh, amongst no, us? I think that's um, might be, I think that might be James Mack. Oh, is it James Mack from Kent? James. James Mack in our 
live audience, raise your hand, your digital hand, and let us know if this is uh, from you. Um, all right. So uh, this is uh, a video that we're going to play, a Bass Aviation video. Uh, but before, I'm going to uh, set it up a little bit with this uh, article from One Mile at a Time. It's, an, it's a blog. Uh, San Francisco-bound Lufthansa jet recently had to divert to Oakland due to a company policy, even though the weather was nice and all the other planes were having no issues landing in San Francisco. It we're is James Mack. Air, oh, it is James Mack. Awesome. Okay, thanks, James. Uh, new uh, patron. Um, were air traffic controller just being petty? Is Lufthansa's policy unnecessary? Or is this just the price you pay when you err on the side of extreme caution? So this app, this incident happened on Monday, October 16, so about a month ago, exactly. Exactly a month ago. And involves a Lufthansa flight 458 from Munich to San Francisco. The flight was operated by a six-year-old Airbus A350-900 with the registration Delta Alpha India X-Ray Charlie. Fast Aviation did a great job creating a video that has both a visualization of the flight path plus the audio between the Lufthansa pilots and the air traffic controller. This incident revolves around how Lufthansa reportedly had a company policy where has a company policy whereby pilots can't do visual approaches at night, but rather require instrument landing system approaches. I wasn't aware of this restriction, and I'm not sure if it only applies on certain flights like long hauls or what. I assume the intent is that this is an extra operational safety layer. Uh, why does it matter that Lufthansa doesn't allow visual approaches? Well, air traffic controllers have to space planes out a bit more for instrument approaches rather than visual approaches, especially at airports like San Francisco, where parallel landings are performed. Um, anyway, so he goes on. So we'll have a link to this in our, in our show notes. But I think what we should do is listen to the live ATC audio, which is contained within the Bass Aviation video. So hopefully this works when I click on it. Oh, yay. Yay. All right. Real Aviation Communications from Bass Aviation, liveatc.net. Lufthansa 458 Heavy Depart Cork Heading 100, due company procedures, you are unable visual approach at that time. Lufthansa 458 Heavy, say the last part again. Lufthansa 458 Heavy, our company procedures forbid visual approaches at night, so request standard islands. Okay, Lufthansa 458 Heavy, if that's the case, then there will be an extended delay. Don't just remain on the arrival. 458, if that's the case, that's the case. Lufthansa 458 Heavy, Roger, maintain, uh, stay on the arrival, maintain 11000. Lufthansa 458 Heavy, we stay on the arrival, maintain 11000. 458 Heavy, ILS 28 less thing, sir. And Lufthansa 458 Heavy, maybe reduced to 20. Lufthansa 458 Heavy approved as requested. Okay, I'm just pausing the video here for a second. Um, so sounds like I, I didn't hear the controller state it to the Lufthansa flight, but it sounds like he was answering a radio call that said that he was going to expect the ILS to 28 left. Is that is that what I just heard? The Lufthansa readback? Uh, yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah, he agreed okay. to an ILS, yeah. Yeah, sounds, that's what it sounds like, but we didn't actually didn't hear, hear the, the controller. controller say no. anything. That's odd. Odd. Uh, okay, here we go. Let's continue. Wait, hey, 
thank you, reducing. Okay, now I'm going to pause here. Other communications have been trimmed, and all other airplanes have been removed from the radar scope to avoid clutter. This is a simulated radar uh, scope display that we're watching on the video, and you can watch when you uh, are looking at the show notes and you click on it. Uh, there is 100 nautical mile. There is a 100 nautical mile stream inbound on the Diamond Five arrival for visual 28 right. Other airplanes from the south and the west are being vectored for visual 28 left. Okay. That's a 458 heavy. Just for my planning purposes, and then the final control of planning purposes. Can you maintain visual separation with the aircraft at night? 458 heavy. Exactly. That one is not allowed. That's a 458 heavy, Roger. We'll send up 458 heavy turn right, heading 180, vector spacing. Look on the 458 heavy right turn, heading 180. Okay, the weather was nice. It's showing the METAR. And that shows a whole bunch of vec vectoring going on. And Orca looks on the 458 heavy. If you're not set up for base soon, we will have to declare fuel emergency, and that will really suck up your sequence. Oh, wow. Okay, we got steps on there. Sky 5540, 5210. <laughs> Thumbs at 458 Heavy, say again. So the 458 Heavy, we are running uh, slowly but surely out of fuel, so we need a setup for base soon or your sequence will be, yeah. Okay, the Thumbs at 458 Heavy, what is your diver field? It would be Oakland. Okay, the Thumbs at 458 Heavy, you need vectors to Oakland? No, but I just don't understand why everybody else is taking. My company forbids visual separation at night, so what is the problem here? Thumbs at 458 Heavy, I can't have this conversation with you. You either need to divert to Oakland or you can continue to hold. It's up to you, sir. Okay, you promised me 10 minutes uh, that ran out four minutes ago. So how many more minutes? Conversation is over. Thumbs at 458 Heavy, stand by. You're talking really fast. Thumbs at 458 Heavy, what are your intentions? You want to divert? You want to continue to delay? I recommend Lufthansa 458 Heavy. I need an estimate of track mass. I can do my calculation. Okay, Lufthansa 458 Heavy. Expect another 10 to 15 minutes delay. Uh, 458 Heavy, stand by. And Lufthansa 458 Heavy, request immediate vectors open. Lufthansa 458 Heavy, understanding these uh, vectors to open. I firm Lufthansa 458 Heavy. Thumbs at 458 Heavy, clear to Oakland via radar vectors. Turn right, heading 300, vector 4, Oakland. Descend and maintain 10,000. Thumbs at 458 Heavy, right turn heading 300, descend 10,000. Thumbs at 458 Heavy, information KBEC is current at Oakland, landing runway 30. Thumbs at 458 Heavy, copy. Thumbs at 458 Heavy, turn right, heading 330. Lufthansa 458, right heading 330. Lufthansa 458 Heavy, turn right heading 040, vector Oakland. Lufthansa 458, right heading 040, vector Southland. Can you confirm the Oakland QNH? Lufthansa 458 Heavy, the Oakland altimeter is 307. 307, Lufthansa 458. Lufthansa 458 Heavy, descend to maintain 8000. Lufthansa 458 Heavy, descend to maintain 6,000. Lufthansa 458 Heavy, descend to maintain 6,000. Lufthansa 458 Heavy, contact approach 125.35. Lufthansa 458 Heavy, 125.35.
No parting comments. I was kind of expecting. So they continued to Oakland, then made a position flight to San Francisco two hours later. Oh, okay. A lot to unpack on this one, huh? Yeah, there is, but it's it's actually relatively simple, really. Um, the first thing I'd say was uh, the captain obviously advised them that he, and he initially said he wasn't allowed to make visual approaches. Well, we've got a copy of the sort of company notice uh, which related to this incident. And uh, actually he was committed, uh, allowed to make visual approaches even at night because the notice, if Liz, if you could stick that up, oh, it's sorry, one of the... I don't have that. I don't know why ah, I didn't okay. make a slide of that. Hang on, just hang on. I'll make a slide. Keep talking. All right. Well, Liz is going to stick it up in a second. Um, what it says under item four is uh, clearances to maintain own separation in VMC in order to avoid undue fuel penalties or delays may be accepted by the commander. So he could have accepted this approach for limited portions of the flight under the following conditions. And it says during hours of daylight and VMC can be maintained. Well, obviously he wasn't during hours of daylight. But at the bottom it says, note, visual approaches are permitted. So I'm saying that his company appear to be uh, banning him from maintaining his own separation in VMC during the nighttime hours. That's what he's not allowed to do, I think, anyway, for what it's worth. Um, having said that, he, so he wants to do an ILS and not a visual approach in this case. And it appears to have been agreed. But um, uh, this airport um, often puts you in a position where you might, might actually be flying an ILS, but you're also doing a visual um, acquisition of the aircraft on the parallel runway beside you, and you're um, making sure you don't overtake him on the approach. Usually... Uh, they put the heavy aircraft in the front and the lighter, slower aircraft is the one that has to maintain visual separation on him and ensure he doesn't overtake him on the approach. So the chances are that the 380 wouldn't have been given that restriction, but he doesn't know that for sure. Anyway, he's having this, he's made this declaration at the beginning and he I probably did it a bit late to help the approach controller. I feel 11,000 feet is quite a long way into the this arrival. And um, the, the pattern and the separation between all the aircraft has already been more or less established by that height, even though it seems quite high for some airfields, not so at San Fran because of the high terrain around there. And the fact that they've got a very restricted area, they can let people down, uh, lower their altitude in the bay before turning them onto the uh, final approach. Um, so if you'd given the controllers more time, they might have been able to generate a couple of extra miles separation, which is probably all he needed in order to fly an instrument approach. But anyway, they're going to be they're going to be reluctant to give him an instrument approach because they are so geared into everybody flying visual approaches and often flying visual approaches and maintaining separation from an aircraft ahead or on the other runway. So that's my initial thoughts. Then we come on to the sort of, um, I can't do this, can you help me? And I thought for a, a little while the controller was just going to give him a little more 
uh, breathing room in the pattern. He gave him a couple of turns. And then feed him in for his request, which would have been really nice of the controller, because uh, after all, they're giving a service to all these aircraft, and that would be part of the service. But apparently not. Apparently, he just gave him vectors around the place, and then we had the bit where we fast-tracked forward, and now it appears that the air traffic estimation of 10 minutes has turned into 14 minutes, and the, the captain's now looking at his gas going... Oh, this is going to take a while. And they have a little bit of a contretemps about this. And he, he says, I'm going to need to declare a fuel emergency, which perhaps he will need to. It may not be a, a, you know, a mayday mayday. It may just be I'm declaring a fuel emergency because he might start eating into his diversion fuel. His diversion is Oakland, which isn't very far away, so he won't have a lot of diversion fuel to go to Oakland. So he's probably just getting a little bit concerned about his fuel levels. Um, but the guy just doesn't really give him an option. He doesn't seem to be open at all to the possibility of putting him back in the pattern with enough separation to do an ILS. Um, all he's intent now is saying, right, another 15 minutes holding, which is three times the length of time which apparently he originally told this captain it would extend his pattern uh, to get his request in, um, and uh, or divert. So the controller really has just become absolutely intransigent. He's now saying, right, there's only two things you can do. You hold for another 15 minutes, and he's now well aware that the bloke is concerned about his fuel and probably hasn't got 15 minutes worth of fuel. In fact, he hasn't because he diverts. Or you divert, which, of course, at the end of a 12-hour flight, um, to do a diversion into your, you know, number one diversion, even and, and it's, it's one of those difficult ones because if you have 50 miles to set up your arrival and organise everything, for, get your plates all sorted up, brief, the new airport, the new landing, do your fuel, landing calculations, etc. That's plenty of time. But Oakland's just across the bay. <laughs> so he, yeah. the guy's going to have to work real hard now to get everything sorted up and get his 380, not a little airplane on the ground. 350, actually. 350. Oh, was it a 350? Okay. Yeah. But it's still, you know, reasonable. It's a big airplane. airplane. Yeah. Triple seven airplane. Um, so, yeah. So uh, I, he... he the controller corners the captain, really, and says, right, the only thing I'm really going to accept from you is a diversion, which I think is, is, was offside. I think he yeah. should have got this guy into the pattern somehow. He had plenty of time to do it, uh, but I think he was just struggling with the level of traffic and just didn't see a way to make it happen, or he was just being a bit vindictive. I don't know. Yeah, well, you even, you know, you mentioned the uh, long flight, the 12-hour flight, but they also experienced a couple of hours of delay before the flight even uh, started or left Munich. Um, and so that was just, that just compounded everything. Um, now, if you'll uh, put the uh, image up, Liz, uh, for the um, application of IFR 8.3.4.1, which I'm assuming this is a Lufthansa docu document, I um, can neither confirm nor deny. Okay. So um, you said that he could have, uh, based on number four, clearance to maintain own separation of VMC 
in order to avoid undue fuel penalties or delays may be accepted by the commander for limited portions of the climb, descent, or approach under the following conditions. So they're in the approach phase. Um, relevant traffic can be clearly identified and kept in sight. I think that he'd be able to do that. It, it is assured that sufficient separation will exist at all times. Obviously, that's for safety. Uh, and then this is the one that I'm not sure that he could check off during hours of daylight. Yeah, that's correct, Jeff. That's, okay. that's what I was alluding oh, to. Oh, I, I thought you were saying but, that he could have uh, done no, based when on he, this. No, when okay. he first raised the issue, yeah, he said what he said approaches. was, yeah. I can't make a visual approach. Right. That's not the same thing. Yeah. Because not every approach you'll be asked to maintain visual separation on another gotcha. aircraft. That, uh -huh. that happens every now and again, yeah. which he would have had to refuse. Uh, and that might be so late in the approach that it would have made him go around. Yeah. So the note says visual approaches are permitted. So he could do a visual approach. He just couldn't do it when he had was required to maintain visual separation mm -hmm. from Luther another aircraft. agrees with you there, Nick. Yeah. Um, so yeah. uh, the other thing I was going to say here is, oh, okay. The, this may or may not have added to the consternation of the conversation, uh, but the uh, and, on the initial check in when he said uh, this is the you know this is the case for you you might have to experience delay and he goes if that's the case that's the case so that may have been like oh okay and then he at one point he said that's exactly why we're you know he kind of laughed and chuckled on the on the radio frequency and i'm thinking i know that shouldn't have anything to do with this but i'm wondering if a, in an interpersonal level that that kind of added to the um, the bad service that the Lufthansa flight was receiving uh, be because of just his offhand kind of expressions and comments to the controller. You know, I'm wondering if he hadn't said, if that's the case, that's the case, or if he hadn't kind of chuckled and said, yeah, duh, like this is exactly what we're trying to say. We can't accept our own uh, separation in these conditions. Um, but he kind of I think he was kind of tweaking a little bit the air traffic controller, maybe unintentionally, probably unintentionally. Um, and then uh, the controller just basically thought, okay, well, if you want to play it like that, well, we're just going to keep on holding it until you divert to Oakland. Because as you said, Nick, I don't think he had any intention at all of ever getting him sequenced in for the ILS to 28 left no, in San Francisco. Um, and if that were true, I would, be appalled at the professionalism of the control. I wouldn't be yep. impressed with what the captain said, but he has to deal with people oh, I agree. whose English is not their first language oh, and yeah. they may clumsily express something right. that might have, yeah. I agree with you. So, I agree with it. But I'm just saying that we're all humans yeah. and maybe this human was a little bit more sensitive. I don't know. Possibly. I don't know. It, regardless. Yeah, yeah I, I think, yeah, definitely a possibility. Um, I Listening to it, I've only heard it twice now, once before and once uh, just now, uh, there was um, a different voice, I thought, when we they got into the diversion phase from when they started their initial approach. So I think the controller's changed. And I wonder what the second controller had been briefed regarding this bloke and whether he just was giving vectors down there um, till further notice or whether he just had sort of momentarily forgotten that this bloke was down there and running short of fuel. I don't know. I don't know either. Okay, I thought you were talking about the in the Lufthansa flight, uh, the voice no, changed no, as I, well. I heard him hand over to the first officer, and I think that was yeah. probably him going, okay, I'm, I'll, I'll I'm going to let you speak on the radio now because yeah. I'm so angry. 
Uh, you know, I took, it, is, <laughs> I, I took it as, well, that might be as well, but I took it as, okay, now we're going to our divert field and my first officer here shouldn't have that burden. So I will fly the approach because she was probably flying into San Francisco uh, with him talking yeah. on the radio. So he probably said, look, I'll take care of this. You talk on the radio. I'll be the pilot flying now. You be the pilot monitoring yeah. and I'll set up for the Oakland approach. Um, the, um, what was the other thing I was going to say? The, oh, I'm thinking to myself this whole time. Okay. Uh, we have captain's emergency authority here. I mean, I'm not sure that I may not have said I am declaring an emergency for low fuel. And that would basically give you immediate priority yeah. to come in. That would, now, have, it would, that would have, have trumped the controller's right. version thoughts. Now, of course, yes. that would mean extra paperwork. Of course, he's already, I'm sure, having to fill out extra paperwork and talk to people yeah, and explain do himself diversion. They, for doing, they, that, doing that diversion. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking, you know what? Uh, that's, that, that's one of these times where I think in my deck of cards, when you know, I have that wild card, the captain's authority uh, for the safety of the flight, I might say, I'm declaring an emergency. And then I'll just deal with the aftermath of that um, later. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I, I think uh, uh, his initial um, sort of attempt to pressure the, the controller into giving him an approach, uh, you know, where he was uh, suggesting that he might be declaring a fuel emergency and that would um, mess up his pattern anyway. So why not just let him make the approach? And the, the controller called his bluff. And right. He, I don't think it was entirely a bluff, but he no, said I don't he, think so he wasn't in a position right there and then to declare an emergency. He might have been in a little while. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't like this kind of brinkmanship, gamesmanship, whatever you want to call it. We're, we're all part right. of the same industry. We're all trying to make everything happen. We should all be on the same uh, team here. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I can think of a lot of places where the controller would have probably worked really hard to fit him in uh, and think he'd done a good job. Uh, I'm really not impressed with this guy's attitude. No. And then I was thinking to myself, well, does this happen a lot with Lufthansa flights coming in? Um, oh. Maybe they're just getting fed up with having to make exceptions for them I, that could be maybe, or I know yeah. the original flight, because it was delayed by a couple of hours, maybe originally they were supposed to, or they were scheduled to arrive during visual, um, you know, VFR, VMC. During daylight, yeah. During daylight. I mean, you know, whatever the definition of uh, daylight is that they're using. And, and may may never be a, a factor or very rarely. Yeah, certainly we never landed in the night at night there. Well, mm -hmm. We all our arrivals were in daylight, so we were never faced with this problem. Yeah, I just think it was, honestly, um, it was very unprofessional of the uh, of the controllers there to yeah. to do this. I don't think Lufty helped themselves either. Yeah. You know, I think if you're trying to make an approach and you want something unusual, give the controller as much time as you can mm -hmm. and be nice about it. Make sure you realize this is uh, it's not your fault. It's a company procedure uh, and try not to you know, inflame the situation. I don't think Lufty did a very good job of, the, of those uh, items. I agree. Okay. Very good. 
Well, our next It was news, an interesting one, though, wasn't it? It I was. Very, interesting. very, very interesting. And I'm sure there's like probably it? more to it than we have access to. Um, but yeah. this is the best yeah. that we can do to analyze based on what we, you know, what resources we have. Maybe yeah. in the future something will be revealed that kind of, you know, shifts the 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 blame uh, to, to somebody else. Uh, but anyway, I think that uh, it sounds to me like mostly air traffic control just kind of being not being very uh, flexible, and maybe they yeah. couldn't be. But I think that we can all do better with our communications on the radio, yeah. and let's not be snarky, and you know, try to try to work with each other here. Because as we just mentioned, yeah, you know, we're on the same team. We the safe operation of flights and getting our passengers safely on the ground. Indeed. All right. Uh, this next one is from Paddle Your Own Canoe. Uh, a JetBlue mm. plane was damaged on Monday. After it collided with a pushback tractor, after it left the gate at San Francisco. Oh, here we go. San Francisco again. San Francisco International (laughs) Airport. They were preparing for departure to Boston. ah. Now, I don't think uh, uh, air traffic control had anything to do with this one. No. Uh, Are you sure that controller wasn't on board there trying to go on holiday? (laughs) It could be. Maybe he'd been demoted to the the tug. Yeah, maybe he was a tug driver. Uh, Indeed, yeah. Moonlighting or something. Photos and videos shared on social media showed how the pushback tractor became wedged underneath the left-hand engine of the Airbus A321 aircraft. Although the Federal Aviation Administration confirmed no one on the ground or on board the plane was injured. Uh, JetBlue F- Flight 534 left the gate around 1.40 p.m. on Monday. Okay, it's daytime, good visibility. Uh, but it didn't get very far until it collided with the pushback tractor. The exact circumstances of how the tractor came to get wedged under the engine are still being investigated. Uh, so mm-hmm. um, at first I'm thinking, was this just like a rogue, you know, pushback uh, tug uh, just roaming around the ramp area and just it wasn't wasn't paying attention? Maybe they were looking at, at uh, something on their iPhone and uh, they uh, crashed into the uh, JetBlue jet. And I'm thinking, no, I think this was actually, I could be wrong, Probably the the tug that was used to actually push back this JetBlue flight from this gate, <laughs> and I think that uh, the uh, again this is all you know wild speculation on my part. I don't know anything otherwise. Uh, is that uh, they may have gotten clearance to start their taxi out uh, to the runways, and uh, maybe the captain assumed that after he got his his salute from the, uh, the the tug driver that he was indeed clear to taxi and and get on his way and maybe he didn't do that extra extra little peek out the uh, left hand side of the aircraft although that would be very difficult in this particular jet the A321 is kind of a the wings kind of further back than like on a 320 or a 319 but still I think we received some uh, feedback from somebody saying that you could actually. Uh, if you really work hard, uh, you can see the wingtip of the uh, of the left wing from the captain's seat. If you really strain your neck, uh, perhaps he didn't clear well enough before he started the taxi. Maybe the tug driver uh, thought that he was going to be clear, and and maybe he's the one that was responsible for this and actually hit the uh, JetBlue Air. But we don't really know. Uh, there's no um, uh, there's is nothing on the uh, Aviation Herald that I could find that uh, had any uh, anything to do with this incident. And, so uh, we think the aircraft taxied into the tug or the tug driver lost control of his tug and drove into the airplane? I don't know. I, I, no. I, th- I could see both or either 
Um, not both, but I, I don't think both. Well, maybe. I guess it's possible that one was still moving and the other started to move and they were both moving at the time. I don't know. Um, it's, yeah, it's a because, head scratcher. Uh, I, I can see, um, you know, the 340 was a very long airplane, so mm -hmm. we had no hope of seeing our engines. Um, but anyway, we had a few incidents where captains started taxiing before the guy on the headset had cleared him to and mm -hmm. got made sure everything was around, yep. uh, you know, was cleared away. That happens. Um, so uh, in well, we got, everyone got a big notice, you know, make sure you don't do this. Uh, but in addition, the tug drivers used to then adopted this really nice habit. I thought it was great anyway. Of when they disconnected, they went and parked in front of the airplane. Uh, sort of as a visual indicator is, I'm still here and everyone else is still wandering around your nose wheel, so don't move. And then as the people went clear, he would be one of the last items to move away from the aircraft to indicate that it was all safe now to go. And you couldn't miss it unless the guy was parked right under your nose. You wouldn't have a... So you, you definitely would have spotted it. So I'm, I don't know if this, this was something similar, but if the guy had done that, there was little chance of him getting run over, getting his tug scrunched. Um, so I think that might have been a good thing to adopt there. I, I agree with you. And I, I'd say 99.99999% of the time being parked out in front of the aircraft would have alleviated any movement by the aircraft until it was clear. However, I, there is an airline that I know very well that uh, had an incident a few years back at San Jose, uh, 737. <laughs> And uh, yeah, they uh, the the tug driver was still there. In fact, I think the the headset cord was still connected. I, I can't remember exactly all the details, but um, the captain uh, was was heads down. I guess they were reprogramming something on the FMS. Something was going on inside, and I guess he uh, didn't realize that uh, he didn't have his brake set, and the aircraft just rolled right into. <laughs> The tug. And so I, it's no guarantee, even if you're parked ahead of <laughs> I the shouldn't jet. be laughing. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. Because that can be pretty dangerous. I it, know. it was uh, something that was like, you, you watch the video and you go, no, 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 no. And they're all like running uh, around trying to get the captain's attention. And, and, and the airplane's just rolling very slowly. Uh, but oh, no. yeah, it's like it could have really been a bad uh, incident. Fortunately, it was just a lot of damage and expense to the, you know, like damage to the aircraft. But well, nobody I was nearly had a heart attack, and that was, you know, when you park up, and uh, the jet bridge is still moving backwards <laughs> yes. to go onto your door. You park up, put the parking brake on, then you suddenly catch the movement of mm -hmm. the jet bridge past your window. How do you go? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> and then you slam the brakes on. Yeah. And then you realize, oh. And then I'm not actually moving. We're it's not the moving. jet bridge. James movie. Mack has a yeah. question, Jeff. All right. Uh, James Mack and our live audience said, would you not show the bypass pin when all equipment is clear? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you're supposed to. That's right. James, um, yeah. But uh, if you, are you referring, James, to the incident that I just kind of talked about or or what? Uh, in this case, I thought, I think that the captain thought that the brakes were set. So um, he he didn't regardless of whether the pin was shown or not, uh, the captain, instead of paying complete attention to the pushback procedure and let the first officer do all the reprogramming of the uh, FMS and everything else, uh, he decided that he would be heads down as well. And nobody noticed that the airplane was very, very insidiously rolling very, uh, and very slowly, but, you know, in a big 
airplane, it doesn't take a lot of uh, velocity to cause damage when it impacts a stationary object. <laughs> Very true. So if that's what you were asking about, uh, yeah. I mean, and now in most airplanes that I've flown, except for the one that uh, the, the Mad Dog and the 717, uh, that, which does not have a pin with a big, you know, red tag hanging on it and they and they keep the pin themselves we actually have a cotter pin that uh, and a and a uh, like a little uh what would you call it like a it's a it's a lever kind of thing that um uh you use a cotter pin to make sure that it's in the um the in flight not in flight but the non-towing position which allows hydraulic power to go to the nose wheel steering assembly uh, but, uh, that is essentially the same thing as showing the pin. Uh, but as I said, our pin basically stays on the jet. So when we receive a salute from the ground crew, that indicates that they have repositioned the flyaway. Uh, uh, well, we use that term fly away. If it's, if it's not pinned and it's, and it's flying away, that means that it's in the, in the nose wheel steering position. If it's pinned, uh, that means that they've disconnected the hydraulic power to the nose wheel steering assembly, and they can hook up the uh, the tow bar and be safe, not worrying worrying that uh, hydraulic pressure is going to swing this tow bar wildly and and injure people. If that makes sense. Anyway, um, not so sure in this case that the showing the pin. I'm assuming that they probably did show the pin. They probably did get a wave off from the crew, and maybe. Again, it, it may have been the captain's fault for not doing good clearing. It could have been the tug driver's fault for not paying attention where he was driving the tractor, uh, tra- the uh, tractor trailer, the uh, the tug, uh, the pushback tractor. I don't know. We don't know enough uh, what happened here. So maybe if somebody out there knows, you know, you might know somebody at JetBlue. Give us a call. Uh, give us a call and let us know what happened there. That'd be uh, something oh, we could okay. all learn. All right. Um, continuing on with a preliminary report from the Aviation Herald, uh, there uh, is a source of this article. Uh, oh, it was the incident that we talked about a few episodes back. The 767-300 at Beirut, uh, Lebanon, had a very hard landing and ended up crumpling the fuselage a little bit. Uh, looks like um, they have, as I mentioned, a prelim- uh, the uh, Lebanon's Ministry of Public Transport and Works released their preliminary report on September 18. Um, no, that was when the incident occurred. I guess they received, re- I don't know when they re- released. Oh, November 8, right there, right there. Just open your eyes, Jeff. Just look at it. November yeah. 8, 2023 is when they released their open preliminary your eyes. report. There's a tug coming. And uh, let's see, the cockpit... <laughs> This is what they said. Sorry, Liz just said, open your eyes, there's a tug coming. (laughs) Shut up, Liz. Um, (laughs) Three people were, uh, and I meant that in the nicest way possible. Uh, Three people were on board the aircraft. The captain, the first officer, uh, who was the pilot flying, and an engineer who was sitting in the cockpit during landing. The cockpit voice recorder and digital flight data recorder were both retrieved and read at the BEA facility in Le Bourget, France. The quality of data or data was excellent. However, the CVR circuit breaker was not pulled following the hard landing. You're supposed to do that. Yeah. You know, the number of times this occurs and you lose this vital data, we've got to change this system. Yeah. Either it happens automatically 
or um, it's in a checklist somewhere, so there's no excuse for not pulling it, or we make the CVRs um, record for 25 hours or something. You know? That would be a way to do it. But you know what? That's a, you know the the cheap way to do it would be just to change your checklist and make that a checklist item for like the um, after well I guess the engine shutdown you know the shutdown at the gate procedure yeah just make that like the last item to you know yeah. pull the circuit breaker or not you know depending on the situation that just reminds you oh yeah we just had an incident that uh, we probably should pull the CVR circuit breaker because yeah. um, it immediately puts the suspicion mm -hmm. in everyone's mind that the crew deliberately didn't mm -hmm. pull it because yep. they were worried about what they were talking cover about up, on the flight up. deck when this happened yep. and they don't want the evidence to be available. And that's an awful suspicion to yep. be having over your head, particularly if you were being very honest and innocent right. and doing everything just right. Uh, you know, it's a exactly. Way. I agree. Well, anyway, in more detail, the report states that the DFDR indicates that the aircraft was fully configured for flaps 25 landing at 1,423 feet uh, radio altitude, and the approach was stable all the way until 20 feet. So that's good. Um, at, yeah. the, at that altitude, the rate of descent recorded on the DFDR shows 650 feet per minute with a VREF plus 4.5 knots. Lovely. Almost textbook right there, right? Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So nothing nothing wrong with that. Uh, following the main gear touchdown, the acceleration recorded plus 1.352 G. That's, that's firm. The nose gear touchdown occurred uh, one and a half seconds later and resulted in a recorded 1.771 G. Okay, that's that's wow. even that's that's pretty hard. And then the yeah. DFDR records that the nose wheel air ground switch went from ground to air to ground within one second, followed by a recorded acceleration of 1.908 G. Oh, that's wow. I'm that's, trying to imagine what happened to it that managed to get into the air for for a second yeah. and they managed to generate enough downforce to get a nearly 2g hit on the second go wow. well maybe the next paragraph will will help okay. maybe uh, give us an idea uh the in parallel the dfdr shows the elevator input increased from plus 5.8 degrees to 11.1 .1 degrees within one second uh oh. to and then to minus 18 degrees Followed by Ooh. minus twenty. Now let me tell you, folks. <laughs> anything even close to zero is is going to be a nose down. Um, you know, because that that plus five point eight was probably the uh, the amount of deflection necessary to keep the pitch at a, you know for the flare, and then man going to minus eighteen followed by minus twenty point six. I mean that that's extreme. So this is the interesting thing, I think. Uh, during the interview with the flight crew, the captain, who was the pilot monitoring, recalled that the aircraft lurched up and the nose wheel then slammed back down onto the runway, describing it as horrendous, and that his headset and prescription glasses flew from his head. Now that... Oh, my God. That's, that's pretty violent. Uh, the first officer, the pilot flying, recalled that, quote, the aircraft pitched up violently, describing the column as acting aggressively and further stated that the whole episode happened too fast, I'm, and he was I'm unable sorry, to take... 
the flight control acted aggressively. I know. The he's flight the one- control column, the, the, the joystick and yoke. The one that he's supposed to be activating himself to yeah. control the airplane. How does how does it act aggressively? Now I'm not not a huge amount of experience with these yokes. Can they do this? Can they get angry? Well, I've never had one act uh, act aggressively toward me. Uh, I have oh. acted aggressively on it at times, uh, <laughs> but uh, give it a I've, good slapping. I've never had it, you know, return that to me. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just the words that. Yeah, uh, he's using it's to describe very odd this. description. But it was almost yeah, as if this. Boxes has a question. Oh, I Hall Boxes and our live audience has a question. Did the spoilers come out the first time? Oh, good question. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Everything happened so quickly, though. Um, I Hall Boxes. I don't remember. I mean, the pilot involved in this incident didn't remember exactly what happened. Um, I mean, it all happened in very quick time, didn't it? Yeah. All these events are sort of within a second of each other. I mean, I seem to remember how long it used to take me to derotate the 340. It's not, it's a bit bigger than this, but, uh, you know, it used to, I'm thinking it used to take five to 10 seconds to derotate the aircraft to bring the nose wheel gently down on the ground. Mm-hmm. This guy did it within one and a half seconds. And I'm going, wow, <laughs> that's, that's fast. <laughs> now, you'll remember that we talked about this uh, a few episodes back, and actually, Miami Rick. Um, we did a, like a separate little recording yeah. session. We addressed mm. this specifically, and he went through in quite some detail about how it's kind of one of these tricky, tricky. tricky um, uh, what, what would another word be for like idiosyncrasies of the 767? Right. More so, I think, on the shorter, the 200 than the 300, but this was a 300. But still, I guess it exists. Some kind of a coupling thing, and you have to be careful. He's a heard lot of, of it the, was to do with the deployment of the speed brakes, wasn't it? Yes, I think so. Okay. That has there a lot to do with it. There's definitely a technique there that he... Yeah. So um, you might want to go back and listen to that. And if I remember all, uh, I probably won't remember yeah. to do this, but you, you know, yeah, I'll put a link. I, I gather it was quite easy to upset a first officer's landing when the captain gave him the spoilers too early. <laughs> right. In this case, I think they're auto spoilers. So, um, ah, right. Okay. And, and uh, in fact, that's something that we talked about with Rick. And uh, he said, you know, unless... The auto spoiler system was on maintenance carryover MCO that they probably should have been working as well. But uh, anyway, I don't know all the details. I've not flown the 767 myself, so I'm not, you know, um, I don't have the experience necessary to give a a complete explanation. I've only just thumbed my nose at it a few times when I've. That might be one of the problems here. Maybe this airplane was kind of upset about that. And uh, remembered you. A couple of uh, humorous comments here, Jeff. Uh, We have some humorous comments from our um, peanut gallery, the the live audience. Uh, Eyehall Boxes says, the yoke beating the yoke. Oh, Y-O-K-E beating the Y-O-L-K. Okay. And then KFC says, yes, lots of egg on their faces. Ah. (laughs) Uh, Those two are playing off each other, I see. They are good, yeah. Yeah. Wordplay, wordplay. Yeah, very good. Uh, auto spoilers, uh, they probably deployed. This is from UH Blackhawk. If it bounces, we are taught to go around, not to salvage it. Salvage it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So It's, it's funny, isn't it? Because from the force of the main wheel landing, you wouldn't have thought they'd have bounced. But thrunging the nose down that hard, thrunging. that could just bounce the nose up, and the main gear might just leave... The ground momentarily. They only left the ground for a second, though, didn't they? Right, so a second or less, or you know, yeah. just under a second. So very quick. Uh, so they yeah. didn't go. They didn't, it's not like they did a twenty-foot leap into the air. No. Nope. Oh. 
All right. So that's what we know, uh, the latest that we have on this particular uh, incident. Yeah. What did you say, Liz? We'll look for a final report. Yeah, we'll look for the final report uh, sometime uh, in the future. Tanya really liked Nick's word of thrunging there. Uh, Tanya enjoys your uh, vocabulary, uh, Captain Nick. Thrunging. uh, Yeah, thank you. Did she spell it proper? Did she spell it right? Uh, Is that Uh, the way you would spell it? Okay. uh, Would that be in the um, Oxford... uh, dictionary, uh, probably the Oxford Urban Dictionary. Yes, Urban. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I don't. I don't get that. The Urban. No, an Urban Dictionary. Oh, Urban. Is, I thought you said Urban. Urban. Yes. Uh, urban. Gotcha. Yeah, the Urban Dictionary. Uh huh. I'm sure that there's probably another definition for that word in yeah, the Urban probably. Dictionary. We're just, uh, we're just almost at the hour mark, guys. Okay. Um, thanks, Liz. So, what do you suggest? Do we continue the news, or should we just go uh, to? Um, no, the I getting think you to know can us. do a bit, a bit more news. A bit. All right, why don't we do like Whatever one or two more, and then we can uh, move on to getting to know us because we don't. I want to make sure we get good, a good amount of uh, feedback. I want to run exhaust the feedback completely because I, I enjoy uh, hearing from no Liz. One F is no an interesting comment. one because no it's comment. a, it's a, uh, it's a follow up from one we covered previously and we yeah. know a little bit more about what, it now. why don't we do that because the one that uh, we are going to skip most likely is uh a, i think it was a caravan so maybe yeah. uh steph yes. might be okay, helpful good. with that and Skippy. there's really it was a crash but we don't really have any well, information you could do as f to why. and g because they're both follow-ups watch your previous. language liz you could do that <laughs> f and g could you do that f and g please i know that's what i mean i mean you don't have I to know. be so rude <laughs> she said you can do the f and g Okay, we'll go to G then, Liz. My goodness, you just watch your language. Do F too. It's really cool. I know. See what I'm doing here? I'm making a play on words. Sorry, sorry, sorry. All right, number F. Number F. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. I think it's time for me to pour some more wine in my glass. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I'm going to open another beer. There we go. I'm having a sip of cranberry juice. And watch the crystal here. Did somebody just unzip their pants? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> it sounded like uh, that. you'll never know, will you? I will. That's where you keep the beers. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of warm, aren't they? Yeah. No kidding. Well, we drink a lot of our beers warm. Didn't that we? is true. No, it's not true, actually. They don't drink cheers, them warm. Anyway. They just uh, cheers. Badger, badger, badger. Ding, ding, ding. Badger, 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 badger. Whatever that means. Okay, let's move on then, shall we, to uh, F&F. <laughs> uh, this is from the Aviation Herald. And we talked about this <laughs> Ural A320 at Omsk. And then they did a go Land around. In the field. And then they tried to make it to their divert um, airport, not realizing that the, um, that the gear was down. <laughs> I'm still trying to work out yeah. how uh, they did seems, twig that. But seems like it'd be kind of obvious to me, but okay. Yeah. I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to fault them. And uh, so anyway, we have um, an update. So first of all, the uh, uh, Rosa Viazia on the 26th of September made some kind of a report. I don't know if it was a preliminary thing or whatever. Uh, but then on... The 9th of November, just a little over a week ago, excuse me, uh, the Rosa Viazia canceled the report, uh, stating that new facts have emerged. A new investigation commission was appointed to conduct the investigation into the occurrence. 
Russian media are reporting that while officially newly discovered facts are being cited as reason for the cancellation of the previously report, released report, the administration of Rosaviatsia ordered the new investigation due to the quality or lack thereof of the investigation so far. They're not happy with their investigators. No. Uh, and they didn't like what they put out there on that 26 September yet, report. Yet, yet, yet. <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah, so that's that's all we know. Uh, so what they issued on the 26th of September, apparently, you know, I'm wondering. Yeah. So this is the one where they basically said, oh, yeah, not only was one of the landing gear doors opening, you know, increasing drag, but uh, the gear was down. And yeah. uh, not noticed by the crew. Maybe, maybe the Rosa or somebody higher up is going. No, no, no. We can't. We can't say that. We we that would be you know uh, be a well, bad yeah. thing. It, for in this text, they they've got um, the story of the crew, and then they've got the story of the initial report, which actually contradict each other quite nicely. Yes, because the captain said he. Um, they did a go go round, and um, it was as he raised the gear uh, in the go round um, that he lost his green hydraulics, uh, and he thought the gear was had got all the way up, and just mm-hmm. there were some door doors hanging. Um, so he thought it was a good decision to divert, and the um, investigators said, "Oh, actually." <laughs> We found out that uh, the gear, that the hydraulics failed uh, when he put the gear down. So uh, not when he tried to raise it. So uh, once you got the gear down and if you lose green hydraulics, that's the one and only system that will raise it. You're, you know, you're stuck with the gear down now. Mm. Um, the only other way of getting the gear down, if you lose your hydraulics before you put the gear down, you can drop it under gravity. You can just release the locks and it'll come down and bang into place. But um, they lost the the ability to raise the gear. So when they did the go around, they were left with it all down. And, and I'm going, yeah, that's pretty obvious because not only if you've got three greens – indicating Ouch. that your wheels are all down. But when you pull up the systems page for the undercarriage, which actually you don't even need to pull up, it comes up automatically uh, when you start trying to move uh, the gear, etc. Um, you've got a little picture that has a picture of every door and a little green triangle representing uh each of the wheels. Uh, and, even a um, Marine could, could understand that. <laughs> yes, even even Sam Dawson could have worked that one out. I'm only joking, Sam. Only joking. I don't no, think Sam was a Marine, was he? Was no, I don't think so. I, think I don't think they're quite as smart as the Marines. <laughs> um, no, I'm only joking, Sam. Uh, so, you know, I, I disagree with that. And what's more, it sounds very much like the crew were looking at their flight management computer to work out if they were going to have enough fuel to go to their diversion. Now, the flight managed computer doesn't know if the gear is up or down. It was assuming that he was going to divert with the gear up like any sensible pilot would, but he can't. So when you look down at the fuel figure that you're that you're going to arrive at your diversion with, um, you need to make a mental calculation and go, ah, I'm going to actually consume 
like 200% more fuel than this because my, my gear's down. So I've got to sort of halve that figure or double the fuel consumption to get to the right figure. Um, I, I, I'm just plucking. It's been too long now for me to try and remember exactly what the percentage was. So if you're a current pilot and you know what it is, just remind me, but be nice about it. Okay. Um, and it's, anyway, so they, they but the, as they were diverting, they were obviously looking down at their field going, this is going much faster. Yeah, than I the can actually see the needle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Which is why they plonked it down in the field. Hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I think there's that is probably the obvious uh, for me. I'm, I, I don't want to jump the gun on the final report, but I hope that that's what the final report does come up with. But um, why they think uh, this was, you know, uh, a good decision, I, I kind of don't know. But uh, there you go. IHAL Boxes is making a very good point. Most flight crew mm. members I know are very attentive when it comes to the undercarriages, even outside of the aircraft. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so so uh, I remember when we initially covered this, we were all kind of going, huh? I mean... How did they not have enough fuel to make, you know, uh, there must have been yeah. more drag. And then we, I remember the question was like, well, I'm not really sure. It's not clear that the gear was up or the gear was down. And I remember, you remember that initial conversation we had yep, about this? I do. And then when we saw that September 26th report that the, D, the, the digital data recorder showed it down, clear. we're thinking, aha, okay, now I'm wondering... Maybe uh, maybe the commander of this particular flight knows somebody up there in the uh, the well, yeah. regulatory agency. Say, hey, you're going to destroy my career if you say that. So, can you change that, please? <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying there's any any um, fraud hanky or hanky panky or anything. You know, Whatever going that is on in there. Russian. Yeah. Um, now, thank you, but, Liz, uh, for looking I, I up the like... uh, the uh, word so... thrunge. In uh, right, the urban okay. dictionary, so say, not to I am not. It. We're not going to read this, uh, but uh, we were cor we were correct in assuming that this might mean something quite uh, not suitable for work or, <laughs> or talking about around our children. Yeah, be careful that flight that commission will be onto you again. And I'm just kind of wondering why uh, why Captain Nick happens to know yeah, and why use did he know that? this yeah. word. I, I was in the Air Force. That's why. Ah, um, there you go. If you'd been in the Air Force, you would have named that word. Hey, hey. <laughs> I was in the U.S. Air Force. Oh, the okay. Right. I, not, right. There was one, nothing royal about my Air Force. One last news item. All right, one last news item. Let's go to F and G. <laughs> I think it's funny. Nobody else does. Um Preliminary report, like uh, collision at Dallas. Oh, this Love is a this Field. is a doozy, isn't it? Yeah, we talked about this one recently. Yeah, the uh, guy that uh, decided to well, we were uh, we assumed that he did not receive a clearance for takeoff on runway uh, two two, and he hit the tail, literally hit the tail of a, a Citation Mustang uh, landing on a, um, a crossing runway, and. Let's see, where where do we go here to... Uh, I, I tried to highlight some stuff in here, but it's a PDF, so I couldn't. Um, so I guess I'm going to have to... So you'll recall that uh, the crew of 269 Alpha Alpha, the Hawker, uh, Hawker, is that better? Um, were issued a lineup and wait on runway 22. And uh, the, uh, the citation, the other jet involved, was coming in on runway 15 right. And... Uh, 
we kind uh, of one noted, three, right. or one, excuse me, one three, right. You're right. That could have been an issue too if they were trying to land on one five, <laughs> right? On the cross. <laughs> uh, I was just trying to go from memory. I missed it. Um, Captain Nick was paying attention and, to you. And uh, so uh, the uh, we were we noted that in the um, in the live ATC .net recordings that we never heard anything about a takeoff clearance and or nor a readback of a takeoff clearance. We heard the lineup and wait, and that's it. So. Um, let's see here. The relevant part of this uh, preliminary report in my mind is that, um, when, uh, the Hawker was perpendicular to runway two, two, uh, they were, uh, switched to the local control frequency, the tower frequency. As the airplane began the left turn to be perpendicular to the runway, they stated that their V speeds were no longer on their display screens. So we have a, a vertical tape, or most uh, modern airplanes now do, have a vertical tape on the left side of your primary flight display that shows your uh, airspeed. Uh, and uh, if you set your flight management computer up properly, it will indicate they'll actually put little bugs or little mm, marks. Or what's another word to use instead of a indicators? Bug indicators on there that Carrots. show. The V1. Pointers, arrows. Yeah, something. Okay, that's good. Thanks. Um, uh, V1, which is, you know, this decision speed, and then VR, which is rotate, and V2, which is a minimum speed if you lose an engine. And so that wasn't there. And you normally have those there. In fact, you're required to have those there. And so they noticed that they weren't there. And so, uh-oh, something's wrong. Um, so at that time, the pilot of the, uh, Citation Mustang 510, uh, Hotel Mike reported a four mile final. And then, uh, the controller instructed the crew 269 Alpha Alpha to line up and wait on runway 22, which they acknowledged. And we heard that the local controller did not give a traffic advisory to 269 Alpha Alpha. Now, I'm not sure if that would have made a difference or not, but usually they will say something like, uh, line up and wait runway 22. Traffic is a four-mile final runway. Yeah, one, invariably three, right. they'll do that. Yes. Know, in my experience. That may have helped, but I don't know if it would have made a difference or not. And then uh, they just initiated their own takeoff roll, runway 22. <laughs> and uh, I say, Fred, are we clear takeoff? Yes, oh, I think so, George. Sir. Off you go. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so the flight data clearance delivery controller alerted the local controller. So the guy's looking out the window, another position up there. Yes. Uh, he says, the guy hey. guy doing all his paperwork for delivery <laughs> yeah. spots he, it before the guy yeah, looking he, out the window. Yeah, he goes, hey, uh, that guy's rolling. And uh, the, the local controller stated, November 9, Alpha, Alpha, stop, hold your position. And there was no response from the crew of 269 Alpha, Alpha. And then the uh, controller again stated, Alpha, Alpha, hold your position, stop to which there was no response. The flight crew from 269 Alpha Alpha stated in their post-accident interview they had a rudder bias alert and a pitch trim alert, which they had to resolve as they were in the takeoff roll. Yeah, you know what this sort of makes me think is a possibility, Jeff, mm -hmm. is they hadn't got any V-speeds and they hadn't set their trims correctly. Did they do any other pre-takeoff checks? Yeah, it sounds like they were trying to make an expeditious uh, departure from the fixed base yeah. operation. Well, I'm, and I'm just wondering, you know, either they, they missed a few things, which is unlikely, or they might have missed a whole checklist. Could be. 
But anyway, they had their heads in at a critical moment of their role. Mm -hmm. A lot of distractions. A lot of distraction. And so they just, oh, yeah, that's right. We're clear for takeoff. We're going onto the runway. We must be clear for takeoff. And, oh, what's this? You know, instead of aborting and saying, hey, let's let's stop this thing and figure out what's going on, they continue their takeoff. And, of course, they hit the very uh, tail end of the... uh, of the uh, citation jet. And uh, yeah, UH Blackhawk says, checklist, schmecklist. Yeah, who needs that? We don't need no stinking checklist. That's after thrunging in the dictionary. <laughs> yeah, so wow, that's, uh, that's interesting. And uh, they do have, uh, in this report, they're noting that uh, Tower is equipped with an airport surface detection equipment system, uh, Model X, uh, ASDX, system, uh, which displays, uh, what they have displays located at the local controller, ground controller, operations supervisor, and helicopter position workstations. Uh, it's a surface movement radar that enables air traffic controllers to detect potential runway conflicts by providing detailed coverage of movement on runways and taxiways. Yeah, it's a very fast scan radar system, um, that keeps track of everything that's happening on the ground. Um, ASDEX collects data from a variety of sources to track vehicles and aircraft on the airport movement area and obtain identif- identification information from aircraft transponders. Uh, the controllers noticed 269 Alpha Alpha's movement before the ASDEX alert, which occurred at 151949. Um, yeah, so then they go into the damage and all that kind of stuff. And clearly, they did hit for sure. And uh, the left wing tip oh, yeah. of the hopper. Well, it's a good yeah. job that uh, they they hit the way they did because the guy that just landed lost one of his uh, stabilators uh, and had a big hole on the back end of the airplane. Um, so he would have been very interested if he'd tried to go flying like that. Good job he was nice and safely rolling out on the runway. Yeah. Uh, the other bloke, um, and he, by the way, he was the one marginally in front. So it would have been the, like, the citation, I think, uh, went mm-hmm. behind him. Now, the citation, this the Hulker went in front of them, and they still didn't see it. I mean, it, it went in front of them. They must have been 20 feet away when it went in front. Such I don't know. I didn't know. No, the Hawker went behind the uh, Mustang. The Hawker was the one that was taking off without clearance. Ah, uh, okay. So he's, he, but he's the red flight, the, the red line. Yes. Yes. He's, he's the one, call sign ends Alpha Alpha. Yes. Okay. I've, I've got the two aircraft route the wrong way around. Right. So uh, the Hawker. Uh, yeah. Whatever happened, the guy uh, getting airborne had the other bloke go in front of him. Yes. Uh, very, very close to him, but neither of the pilots saw them. So what were they looking at? I think they said one second before they noticed. Um, let's see. Let me find that um, that quote. Um, that Oh, like they did see him. One okay. second before they hit them. Um, oh, I see. Prior to impact. Yeah. That's why they were so, well, the, the captain or the pilot or whoever, you know, the pilot um, flying, uh, sounded so upset on the uh, radio frequency when asked to fly a certain heading and say, hey, we just had a midair, which I would argue was a, was actually a mid-ground. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and, and, you know, he was all pissed off because he thought that somebody made a mistake uh, other than him. Uh, right. But he was wrong about that. Um, yeah. yeah. 
So yeah, it's a, uh, but but I mean, if you see an airplane crossing in front of you uh, like one second before you hit them, there is nothing. Absolutely, you're just along for the yeah. ride at that point, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You know, uh, again, maybe um, something one of the brain um, synapses would have fired when if if the controller had said, "Line up and wait." Traffic landing one three right, you know, th- maybe that would have made a difference. I don't know. Because your normal reaction then is to look for the traffic. I yeah. do. I used to. I used to glance out, look yeah. for it, and and it would be in the back of my mind. Then we got to wait for this guy to land. So no point rushing. Let's you know. Finish well, not the only that. I mean, even if go. I'm told that there's traffic landing on the crossing runway, if, if I'm not told that, I still look at the crossing runways just to make sure that something didn't happen, you know, that wasn't yeah. noticed. By and the, perhaps if, if these guys hadn't been distracted by their misset trims, they might've been those guys as well. Yep. But uh, of course they weren't, they were distracted uh, at an inappropriate moment during the takeoff roll. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Tough, tough situation there. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll uh, we'll continue to monitor that anytime we get more information. But it certainly, but, I mean, it's just that we have covered so many near collisions, and this one actually was—it's a miracle no one died. But uh, you know, how long before we get a big airplane doing this? Uh, I, I don't even want to think about it, nope. Nick. But I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm concerned, and I am glad that I'm effectively retired now, and I, I I'm going to. Well, of course, actually, the roads are more dangerous than flying. Oh, never mind. <laughs> let's, get to, let's get to know you guys. You should. We sh- you think we should, Liz? Yeah, okay, I let's get, get to, to know, know us. Um, it's the time of the show, getting to know us, where we I think of... you should start first, Jeff, because okay. you've got a nice lot to cover. I'm I do. looking forward to this. I do, for a change. I get to, I get to ramble on. By the way, somebody accused me of rambling... I think uh, I'm not going to use any names, but Brett Fry, I think. Not me. Um, uh, kind of mentioned we, that we I, have ramblers in this country. They're the people who walk the countryside. Yeah, exactly. Oh, really? Yeah. We have ramblers yeah. in this country, but it's an old car that was made yeah. by. Um, <laughs> yeah. what, what was the company? AMC. That, did they make the yeah. rambler? Nash. Wasn't it a Nash rambler? It wasn't a Nash rambler. I'm not sure. Hey, huh? staff, figure out what, who made the rambler. Anyway. Uh, and uh, of course, you know, uh, Ramblin' Man. So let me start off then. Let me go here and get my cheat sheet and the uh, getting to know us note. Okay. So of course, um, I uh, we were we were working up at, at our uh, SPC choir for a very important mass on the uh, 9th, the Thursday the 9th at our uh, at our church uh, 25th anniversary celebration so I I'm did singing. some did my did my singing thing and so we had that big mass and it, it, it went beautifully I think uh, from from where I was uh, and from what I heard and uh, we had brass and and uh, uh, very uh, more people in the choir than we normally have so it, it, uh, it was a very very cool um, uh, service and um, the next morning, I left uh, relatively early, um, and in my post-retirement or my po- post-active airline pilot um, uh, mode, uh, it was early. I think it left around seven, seven thirty, something like that. Up, oh, Liz is uh, showing us that it, yes, indeed, is a Nash Rambler. The company is Nash. 
Anyway, um, let's uh, left for um, Richmond, Virginia. That was uh, my planned stop on the way up toward Annapolis, uh, Maryland, for the U.S. Naval Academy football game uh, playing the University of Alabama at Birmingham, uh, UAB, and uh, had a great time. Met my fellow um, choir director, not choir director, fellow uh, choir member, Kurt, uh, and Cindy, his wife, and uh, I also saw uh, their son who is attending the uh, U.S. Naval Academy, um, Ron, and uh, during the game, we uh, and so but before the game went to a tailgate. I, I mentioned in our in my crew log about tailgating and what that's all about here in the U.S. I'm not sure if they do that uh, in other places in the world, but it's kind of a mostly a college football and professional football kind of thing that fans engage in, uh, you know, before the game starts, and uh, it usually involves uh, you know cooked meats and um, beverages and lots of adult beverages. And so we enjoyed the game, and uh, then I left after... Uh, Who won? The game. Oh, well, the Naval Academy won, Liz. And it was funny because um, Kurt and Cindy said, we should invite you to every home game because you must be a good luck charm because uh, they were not uh, supposed to win this game. I think they were uh, like a two-point underdog. Didn't they come from behind, and too? they No, they did not come from behind. They stayed. They were ahead the oh, whole time, the Liz. Lead. And okay. yep. I think the That's final score was said. something like 38, ah! uh, 30, yeah, 38 uh, to, like, I forgot, nine or something. I don't remember the exact score. But they they trounced them. They did a really, really good job against them. Well done, them. Jeff. And, you know, it's, it's all because of me. No, it had nothing to do with me. Um <laughs> And then I left there in about a half an hour drive, headed over toward the Beltline of Washington, D.C., and stayed in a courtyard, uh, Marriott Courtyard Hotel for the night. And then the next uh, morning, got up, got my coffee, and headed out toward um, Front Front Royal, Royal, Virginia. And that's where the Shenandoah National Park, the Skyline Drive, starts. And I started on my way uh, south on on Skyline Drive. And in the nice windy mountain roads, which was a lot of fun and it's beautiful, just absolutely gorgeous views. views. It it takes you up. I think it got as high as about um, just shy of 4,000 feet, 3,700, I think. 3,800 was about as high as I recall seeing as far as any signage as far as uh, altitude is concerned. And uh, it's nothing like, you know, being out in the Rockies or something like that. Were your ears popping? My ears were popping, Liz. And, uh, yeah, so we did that, or we, we, the royal we, it was just me. Um, and uh, I ended up uh, diverting off of the uh, Skyline Drive over toward um, uh, Stanton, Virginia, slash Swope, Virginia, the, a, little, a nice little um, bed and breakfast inn in Swope, a uh, little farm. Meadowcroft Inn. Meadowcro- inn at Meadowcroft was the name of the place. And uh, the uh, proprietor of the inn met me there and showed me around and showed me my, um, uh, it was like a 1700s cabin that they uh, uh, renovated, moved from another location and moved to this location. And I mean, this place was, uh, everything was just perfect. It was clean. It was, it looked like it was brand new. Uh, now they had to re- completely restruct, reconstruct the uh the old cabins 
there and put in new what is it called chinking or something like that um, oh, between the the, log, uh, yeah. the wood uh, the big logs and that kind of thing. So it was, it was fascinating. I had a nice talk with Bill, the uh, proprietor there, and then he left and and um, and um, thinking to myself, I don't, I'm the only one here. I I was completely alone. Not even the proprietor. They didn't. He didn't stay there. And uh, so I had the run of this uh, well, you inn. You weren't completely alone. But you're right, Liz. I was not completely alone. There was a resident cat named Oreo. She was just wonderful. She uh, was very happy that there was a fellow life form uh, there. And uh, she was purring away and forcing me to pet her. And um, later on, I went into town into Stanton to get something to eat, came back. And she was meowing away, and I opened up the window because the room was kind of hot. So I opened up the window, and it was to cool everything down. And then she, there was no screen on the window, and she popped in and and uh, kind of made herself comfortable in my room. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm, I'm okay with that. So uh, she slept um, uh, mostly at the at my feet on uh, on my bed. Uh, there were a couple of times when she made her way up a little bit further uh, up the bed and purring away and kind of pushing against me and, and using her claws, which was not exactly very comfortable. Anyway, you don't want to know all about that. So I had a great night's sleep. It was, man, the thing that really impressed me the most about the place was that on the porch, I was sitting out there kind of doing some reading up on the Skyline Drive and the Blue Ridge Parkway, and it was like eerily quiet. I mean, there was no, it was like completely silent, no road noise, no no noise at all. It was just UH Blackhawk beautiful. says he went to university in that area. Oh, okay. UH Blackhawk in our audience says that's the area where I went to university. Beautiful part of the country. It is. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, so the next day I ended up uh, heading back. I thought I was going to hit hit the Skyline Drive again, but I guess I kind of, there was like a little section of it, the southernmost section of the Skyline Drive that I, I didn't um, uh, see. And it would have been backtracking for me to go back up the place, the place that I left it. So I, I started at the north end of the Blue Ridge Parkway, which is basically a, a continuation of that road along the ridge line of the this mountain ridge. And um, uh, so did the Blue Ridge Parkway for a while and ended up in Roanoke, Virginia, at the Black Lantern Inn, which was uh, right in uh, just a little bit uh, to the south of the downtown area. Really, really nice facility as well. The proprietors, um, Chris and Jane, were just lovely. They uh, invited me in and, you know, showed me around. And they said, we know that you, you know, basically picked this room here, which has a queen size. I mean, I I just picked the smallest room because it's just me. I don't need a lot of room. Um, But because you're the only one here, again, I'm the only one in the inn, um, we're going to give you the big, you know, the big suite. So there was room at the inn. There was room at the inn, Liz. And I got this fancy, you know, double level suite with a huge king size bed and everything else. It's beautiful, uh, beautiful place. Had a great time there as well. A little bit noisier than the uh, inn at Meadowcroft and uh, Swope. Um, But uh, because a lot of road noise where they were in town and that kind of thing. Had a great meal there as well. And uh, yeah, so it it was a really nice experience there as well. Next morning I had it and I thought, okay, what am I going to do now? Um, I hadn't really planned for anything after Roanoke. So I decided 
that it might be time now for me to uh, kind of not do the Blue Ridge Parkway anyway anymore and uh, head down like normal interstate system to Asheville. And so that's what I did. And I was listening to a podcast or, or some YouTube live thing, not thinking about what I, I don't know how I missed my navigation system telling me that I was supposed to take a certain exit, but I missed it completely. And I, I, at a certain point, I'm thinking, feels like I'm going north. Where, where am I going? I look at the map and I went, oh, sur- sure enough, like 18 miles ago, I was supposed to take an <laughs> exit. And I went, how did, how did I miss that? Nice one, Jim. Yeah, thank you. And uh, so I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm not in any hurry. I don't have any schedule except, to, you know, this uh, today to record. And uh, so I uh, was just about to hit the next exit and get off there and then turn around and head back the other direction when all of a sudden, and I come... No, 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 Jeff, you've skipped right over visiting the Witherspoons. No, I didn't. This was before the... uh, Okay, sorry. I'm sorry. Liz is thinking I have things out of order, but I don't. I'm sorry. My bad. Um, No, I've I've left left Roanoke. I have not made it to Asheville yet. And um, so I'm going up course the wrong direction and i'm thinking okay it just says like a couple like less than two miles to the next exit that i'm going to use to turn everything around and all of a sudden this kind of climbing hidden curve like you you know just can't see much ahead of you and you're not expecting that at a certain point as you make this curve that everybody in front of you has stopped completely. Jeff, that happened yesterday after you left Asheville, not before you got to Asheville. No, Liz, it happened to me uh, the day I left. Asheville. You two are like a married couple. <laughs> you you hadn't you left the Witherspoons and you were heading for Clayton, and that's when the stop happened. Nope. Is it? Yes. Oh. <laughs> No, no. I was on I forty. Okay, I'll send you the pictures with the time on it. Anyway, okay, go ahead. Carry okay, on. she's still objecting to. Me. I object. <laughs> Hang on, let me Car- think about carry this. Carry on, one. old chap. Let me let me have some more wine. <laughs> let me dull my senses a little bit more. No, that was. Um, Yesterday, oh, she's got now, isn't yesterday it? at 11.09 a.m. Oh, you know what? <laughs> right, I'll start, start at the beginning and do it again, Jeff. No, I'm going to leave this all in because that's, that's the new me. <laughs> all the warts and everything else. Liz is absolutely correct. That was after Asheville. Okay, so you're leaving Roanoke. You okay, mentioned, so you mentioned okay, on wait, the wait, last wait. How show. Okay, wait, wait, wait. How do we how do we make the 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 noise like everything is going in reverse? You so I went to Roanoke. The, I left Roanoke and uh, headed to what did I do after Roanoke? Did I do the well? Blue Ridge you, you mentioned on the last show you might go to Asheville, and Thomas yeah. Witherspoon heard that and he reached out to you. Yes, I should let Liz <laughs> bring Liz back here. Uh, Liz is back here. Hey, Liz. <laughs> please set us straight, Liz. Would you please tell everybody what happened? <laughs> nope, she's she's not playing. I don't. We don't hear you. You're uh, still muted. 
Okay, so this is what you told me, is that on Which the last show, true. you mentioned you might go to Asheville yeah. the next night. Yeah. And Thomas Witherspoon, who I believe has sent us some feedback in the past and lives in the Asheville area, reached out to you yes. and said, Jeff. That. And then what did he say to you, Jeff? He said, Liz, thank you so much. Uh, so if you're, if you're going to be in Asheville, uh, I lived, uh, thank you so much. You see what, how important Liz is in my life? She likes, keeps me straight, um, keeps me out of trouble most of the time. Uh, so he said, if you're going to be in Asheville, uh, I live just east of Asheville in a place called Swananoa. And uh, it is between, I think, Black Mountain and uh, Asheville. And we, my wife and I have a, um, a, an Airbnb. And uh, it's um, there for you if you'd like to use it. And I went, oh, wow, that's very generous of you. I mean, I hadn't even thought that. I, I just figured I would be staying in a hotel somewhere in the Asheville area. And I thought, okay, well, uh, I, I think I'll take you up on that. So I ended up going through Asheville and then going heading out a little bit Eve. to there and uh, to Swananoa and went up this very windy, um, beautiful, windy road all the way up to their to their property. And they have... 10 acres there. They have their house that they uh, just finished not long ago, um, a little bit higher up on the property. And uh, the I guess the property came with this uh, three-bedroom, two-bath, five-bed home that they completely redid, renovated, and it's just absolutely beautiful. A great place for family. By the way, if you're listening and you want to have a vacation and for a, for a big group of people, uh, their place in Swananoa called Dancing Leaf Ridge is available on Airbnb. It's just gorgeous. And uh, so I pulled into there and uh, he had left me uh, some beer in the refrigerator, uh, some nice IPA from Green Man, one of the local um, breweries there in Asheville. And um, I, I was enjoying that. And then he came down and I, I got to meet Thomas in person. And he's, I think, Going back as far as 2017, 2018, he's sent feedback several times. Nick, you have actually interacted with uh, Thomas Witherspoon. He uh, is the one that does the uh, blog, the uh, ham radio blog called the SWLing Post. And he's also um, a participant, a, a host on a podcast, I think the QRPers or something. Um, not sure about yeah, that one. That sounds excellent. And, I probably uh, have. And and uh, because he knows that you're into uh, ham radio stuff, and so he's very heavily into it as well. And he's got a very popular um, uh, uh, blog and podcast out there um, that uh, was it's probably bigger a bigger deal than the airline pilot guy show here in the aviation world. And um, so um, anyway, he drove down, we met uh, in person and he said, you know, if you want to have dinner, we can go and get some barbecue because I understand you love barbecue and we have a really good place called uh, Okie Dokies here in uh, Swananoa. And I went, oh, it sounds good to me. So we, I, he said, I'll come down, we can drive down and talk and we'll pick up some barbecue, bring it back up to my place and have uh, dinner with, you can meet my wife and my two kids. His wife is Heather and his two children, Sylvie and Neva. And, um, and, and we'll eat up there and, and enjoy the evening. And that's what we did, uh, except that we didn't get barbecue because it was closed on Monday. So we, um, ended up getting some, uh, Mexican food, which yesterday was pretty good. Yesterday was Wednesday. Um, yesterday Tuesday. was Wednesday. Tuesday. 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 That's okay. It was closed. Oh. 
Uh, it was closed on Tuesday. Yeah. Well, yesterday is when I came home, and I was coming in on Monday night, I think. I think I got that right. Yeah? No? Whatever. <laughs> I'm wrong about that, too. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Carry on. This, this whole retirement thing is really confusing to me. I don't even know what day is what anymore. You're going to have to start it. to keep a diary, Jeff. I think I have to stop, stop drinking because I can't <laughs> think straight anymore. I don't know. Where the heck, where am I now, Liz? Uh, I, I think you're I can't at see. Someone's turned the lights out. <laughs> the lights have gone out of my brain is what, what's happening here. Anyway, she is right. They're closed on Tuesday. I kind of sworn he said it was Monday, but you're right. It anyway, was Tuesday. You went, you went, you play stayed overnight. Then you started. Today's Thursday, by the way. <laughs> Again, I should probably let Liz just tell everybody what I did because she knows she knows it better than I do. Um, so we had a wonderful dinner, wonderful conversation, and uh, he had said, "Why don't, why don't you stay? You know, another uh, night or two, and uh, you know, you could do the." I, I said, "Well, I could do the show from here, except the internet right there is not really great in the uh, in the house." Those mountains. I, I thought, well, maybe maybe uh, Starlink might work out uh, uh, well enough that we can uh, use that. And uh, so got that all. I had momentarily paused my subscription to Starlink because it wasn't really needed. I didn't really need to have it. And I got the um, the mobile uh, subscription. And so I had to reactivate that. It was kind of a hassle to get all that going. And I did a test and it just what it was better than the uh, the internet in the um, in the house, but it wasn't good enough to do the show, APG sadly. Quality. It wasn't APG quality. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder what that actually means now, Liz. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> thanks. 50%. <laughs> 50%. There you go. And uh, I, I think 50% of my story so far uh, has been correct. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll give you 100% amusing. So leave me alone. <laughs> um, there we go. There's a 50% guarantee. Uh so, uh, sadly, I had to depart. When did I depart? Was that yesterday, Liz? Yesterday morning. On, the, Wednesday, on Wednesday. Morning. <laughs> and then, you're not going to believe what happened. I sent you the pictures you sent. I know, I, I see them. I see them there. She sent me the pictures that have the timestamp on it. Yeah, you're right. Um, no, in case you wanted to show them, that's all. Oh, in case. No, I don't want to show them. Okay. It's just a picture of a 18-wheeler that had crashed into the, to the rock wall uh, and completely. So I was telling you, I was, I was a day um, a day ahead, ahead of myself there. So I left Asheville. I was on Interstate 40 listening to something, and I was distracted. I missed my exit, and then I come just racing around this corner, and all of a sudden everything has stopped. I went, I'm, I'm so lucky that I didn't hit anybody ahead of me. And then... I'm looking in my rearview mirror thinking, okay, this is a blind corner and I'm going to get nailed by somebody. And fortunately, the uh, lady in her SUV behind me saw me and put her applied her brakes soon enough and kind of swerved. I kind of thought, where do I put my car? And I, so I kind of put it in the middle so that there was some place to the left and some place to the right for somebody to, to go when they're like just slamming their brakes on. And uh, she missed me. She ended up going uh, to the left of me a little bit. And uh, then all the people behind, including a couple of 18-wheelers, were uh, fortunately, it was kind of a minor miracle, I think, that nobody 
uh, crashed uh, in this on this blind curve in this mountain pass. And, uh, and so these people are walking by, and this guy walks back, and he goes, yeah, we're going to be here for a few hours. I'm like, huh? <laughs> because the uh, 18-wheeler bed was completely blocking the uh, the two lanes of traffic. And we were kind of at a higher point where you couldn't just go across over to the other side and go the other direction. It was like a up high. It was just it just wasn't going to work. So fortunately, it didn't take them long to get the thing cleared. I think what what would you say, Liz? I was there for maybe half about a half an hour, maybe. something yeah, like that. Forty five minutes. Yeah, before they finally got the thing cleared, and I got on my way, hit the exit. Oh, just time enough to do a crew log. Well, no, I was. It was time enough for me to <laughs> talk with Liz and communicate what was happening and take some pictures. And I was thinking this might be a good time for me to you know, pull out the laptop and start looking at do some, show prep. some of the, yeah, do some show prep. And we can uh, see you didn't have time for that. Obviously <laughs> I haven't done any of that. There was enough time for that because, well, you're listening to this right now going, what the heck does the man ever do any show prep? Uh, sometimes. Yeah, that was a, a road crash. We're observing a train crash right now. Yeah, this is definitely a train crash. Um, anyway, so we got, um, Got got Going. back on track, and I'm thinking, oh, whatever, you know, I don't have anywhere to be, you know, really. And so uh, finally made my way back to Studio 1A in H-H-H-Q. Roswell. Ended up going by, um, I don't think I've told Liz this, but I, I think she knows because she, she could track me um, on, a, on the Glimpse app. Uh, but I stopped in Clayton, Georgia, where I'd lived for... Just under a year, uh, back in 21, 22, had lunch there. And then I drove by the little, I didn't tell you this, Liz, I did buy, uh, drive by the cabin. And yeah. they've uh, they've improved the parking situation there. Oh. So it's not grubs all nice and paved and looks really yeah. nice. And then uh, took all those mountain roads that I used to take all the time. And I'm, I was just smiling the whole time because I loved it so much because these are really super windy roads and it's just fun. I mean, you can even do the speed limit and it feels like you're going way too fast, like 45 miles per right. hour. That's the kind of windy roads they are. And I made it back and uh, yeah, here I am. Well, and then home safe and sound. Home safe and sound. Now, anyway, so uh, yeah, lots of excitement. Sounds like a great trip. Oh, what a great trip. And it was a great trip other than the 18-wheeler crash. I assume that the driver was okay. So I just want to say before we move on to anything else, Thomas Witherspoon, you are the man. What a what an amazing guy this guy is. And I, I apologize to him because he was saying, oh, yeah, I do a podcast and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, like, shh, it's all going over my head. I'm, I knew that he was a, um, a listener of the show, and I knew that he was a patron, and I knew that he was uh, somebody that has given us feedback over the years. But I just didn't put the two together until after we had had our little meeting uh, in person. And then I started looking back at some of the stuff and I went, oh, you idiot. Yes, the SWLing post. And I could see the interaction that he had with Captain Nick. And I, I, I told, so I told Thomas, I said, I was expecting somebody a lot older, like, you know, like ancient, kind of like Captain Nick. Captain Nick. Uh, that <laughs> was in, into that kind of thing. You know, not not you. And a young man. A young person. And, uh, and, and I said, so my bad, I'm sorry, I didn't make the connection, but, uh, he was very, very, uh, great or generous and, uh, uh, gracious about, uh, his, you know, my mistake regarding not understanding all this stuff. Uh, but we had a great time. 
So thank but you. Also, but also Kurt and his wife were. Oh yeah, Kurt and Cindy, uh, my choir um, mate, and his. Well, she's an, also in the choir as well. Um, we're we're wonderful hosts. Thank you so much. I don't think they listen to this, and if they do, well, thank you very much. And what's wrong with you? Why are you listening to this? Um, but uh, thank you for the invitation to the football game. In fact, after I left, um, I, I had a little communication with them, you know, thanking them for that. And uh, they said, uh, would you be available uh, for the game on Saturday? Because you're kind of a good luck charm and it's our last home game and we'd like to win it. <laughs> and I went, are you serious? But uh, I said, no, I, I, I need to be back in Roswell. So uh, anyway, it was a great trip. Uh, not not quite a week away, but it was uh, it was better than my last road trip to Tennessee. That's for sure. You know, Jeff, when when you get your RV and get start moving around the country properly, you're going to have to start another podcast. Yeah, just yeah. to tell of your your experiences and your mighty road trips. Sounds, sounds like a lot of work. Great. A lot of work well, for me. I, it might be, but then yeah. again, you'll have lots of spare time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like you have a lot of spare time. <laughs> okay. Yes, well. Speaking of which, what have you been doing? Captain? Yeah. So speaking of spare time, well, did I get to everything on my list? Uh, yeah, I did. I, okay. I um, what have you been up to, sir? Uh, not a lot. Not a lot. I had a quiet week. Um, I went up to. You'll remember I did mention last show that uh, I was going up to the Hawker Association. Yeah. Uh, for to give a, a talk, uh, and that went. Very nicely. You had a chat to uh, Frank, the organizer, very, very pleasant bloke. And he introduced me to their pet test pilot called Chris. Uh, he was a test pilot with Hawker. Um, and uh, before that, he was in the Air Force. He uh, was also, uh, like myself, uh, a rare breed. He was both a QFI and a QWI. So, uh, and he then went off to uh, Empire Test Pilot School, ETPS, became a test pilot and then joined Hawkers and became a test pilot on the Harrier, which would have been a hell of a job considering how um, revolutionary that aircraft was. Anyway, he was fascinating, a uh, lovely bloke chat to, but sadly on these occasions, you know, you've got to meet a lot of people and uh, you don't get a lot of time with people, but th they were two people that uh, really stuck out. Very nice to meet them both. Uh, but more importantly, um, one of our listeners, who we both know, uh, Sam Dawson, got in touch with me the day before and said, I'm coming to uh, London uh, on a trip. Uh, do you think we might? I might come out to this, listen to you talk? So it, the timing was perfect because he had a quick flight over. You'll hear about that in a second. Um, I were, he basically he had an hour's sleep on the aircraft and then as soon as he got to his hotel, he uh, jumped out, went to the uh, railway station, uh, jumped on a train. I picked him up from the railway station in Kingston-on-Thames, took him to the talk, and he managed to stay awake for most of it. But we took so afterwards, I was taking him back to the station. I managed to find a pub, and uh, we pulled in, had a beer, and uh, I recorded a short bit of audio, which we could now play, if that's possible. That's possible. Last time I did this, I forgot to press the record button. And I went around an entire table 
and got absolutely nothing at the end of it. Hello, Jeff. It's uh, I've Nick. never done that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in Kingston upon Thames, and uh, I've just finished uh, giving a chat talk to uh, the Hawker Association. Uh, to be a member of the Hawker Association, you have to have worked for any of the aviation manufacturing companies that started off with Sopworth Aviation, uh, which was taken over or uh, restarted by Hawker. And then, you know, Hawker Sidley, and then eventually became British Aerospace. Anyway, by the by, a bunch of fine gentlemen that I just talked to. And I looked into the audience, and all of a sudden, I saw a face I recognized. And I was going, oh, where do I know that bloke from? And uh, I suddenly realized that Sam Dawson had come all the way across from the States, especially to listen to this talk. And there he was in the audience. And now we're in a pub having a lovely pint of London Pride and uh, chewing the breeze. So uh, I don't know if I'll get a chance to get this on the show tonight, but I'll try. Anyway, here to say hello is Sam. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> what am I supposed to talk about this time? I, I don't know, Sam. Uh, well, how did the flight go? Oh, the flight was actually excellent. Uh, the seatbelt sign was off the entire time. Smooth flight for the Atlantic. I mean, the Atlantic's not no matter, too bad. Uh, we had a jet stream behind us almost the whole way, about 160 knots on the tail. Uh, so it was a very quick flight, uh, about would have been right at six hours, but of course Heathrow and the weather like today, they slowed us down a bit. Had to do some holding, but still six hours and fifteen minutes. When you think of what it used to take by ship, that's uh, pretty pretty nice. Uh, so no no turbulence, and uh, the weather at Heathrow was okay. Uh, typical London day, a little rainy, a little bit of a crosswind for the landing pilot, probably about fifteen knot crosswind, but nothing too bad. Uh, supposed to be pretty gusty later today, up to about 30, 35 knots, direct crosswind. But really a nice day. I, I really don't mind the rainy day like this. Uh, it's really kind of a pleasant day, and it'll make it a lot easier for my sleep tonight. Oh, it certainly will. I'm, I saw you nodding off in, in my talk. I thought, oh, well, there you go. Jet lag's catching up on you. But then again, I saw that most of the audience were nodding off, so they haven't been anywhere. They're just old people. Huh? Anyway, um, did you enjoy this afternoon? Oh, very much so. I mean, yeah, a couple of times it was a little sleepy just because of the jet lag catching up. But really, I, I, I wanted to stay awake and listen because it was a very interesting talk. Um, yeah, I'm glad I took the time from my day to come over. It was much better than just wandering around London. Well, that's ever so kind of you. Anyway, it's great to meet up. Huh? We're going to enjoy our beer now, Jeff. So um, back to you in the studio. So, actually, not back to you, Jeff, back to me. Um, that went very nicely, uh, and I um, put uh, um, Sam back on uh, the train, and uh, he disappeared off for a very well-earned rest. Um, and uh, then the only other thing that has happened is that I've had a couple of invitations, which is rather nice. I did speak at Brooklyn's uh, Museum, you remember, uh, the Royal Aeronautical Society, their Weybridge branch. They very nicely invited me to the 68th uh, R.K. Pearson Memorial Lecture and Dinner. 
uh, the title of which is Aviation and the Environment, Gathering Storm or Golden Opportunity by Professor Ian Pohl, OBE, FRNG, FCGI, ONS, FAIAAFRAES. Fellow of the Royal Aeronautical Society. I know that one. He's a fellow. That's what was that pretty again? good. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a professor emeritus of aerospace engineering at Cranfield University, which is a very uh, prestigious uh, aviation uh, university uh, in the UK. So I'm really looking forward to that and having a uh, a meal with these fine folk. Uh, and um, I, in addition, I've had an invitation from one of our listeners, uh, Hosea, or Hosea. I'm not quite sure how he pronounces his name, but he's invited me to speak at the Institute of Nuclear Medicine at uh, the University College London Hospital, their Christmas dinner. So uh, I'm on the 1st of December heading up there. I, we, he's a listener, which is going to be fantastic. It'd be lovely to meet him. Uh, but uh, I don't think it's going to be open to anyone else because it's, you know, they're a big company. And uh, so it's just for them. But uh, I'm really rather looking forward to this. He's asked me to speak on uh, threat and error uh, management. Uh, so we know a little bit about that, don't we, Jeff? So we do mostly uh, the error management. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yes, error management is the hard bit. The threat is the easy bit. I mean, everyone's getting threatened. <laughs> anyway, that, that's that's coming up. So that'll be the end of the month. So that'll be fun. And wow. um, really, honestly, that's about it for cover my art, week. And, and uh, we just need perhaps to mention the cover art. Well, before we do, and, uh, uh, can you tell me yeah. exactly what OBE, Officer of the British Empire. Ooh. And I told you what FRAES was. That's Fellow of the Royal Aeronautical Society. The other ones I'm not. Uh, it looks really, like, sure. really, really good. Very though. impressive. But good stuff. Uh, F F C G I. Now that you know, CGI is that oh, yeah. artificial uh, computer he's generated. A of oh, effing yeah. CGI. Yeah. So gotcha. I don't know. He perhaps he's a fellow of that <laughs> as well. Oh, fellow. Okay, and uh, gotcha. Eng is engineering. I know that. Yeah. So F R Fellow of the Royal Engineering Society, Society okay. or something. Wow. I don't know. So anyway, he's nice. a very clever chap. Obviously. So I'm looking forward to the talk more, um, uh, more so perhaps to the rubber chicken. We'll see. Um, anyway, I'm looking forward to that. That's good coming up. And I'm busily trying to work out what to say to the Institute of Nuclear Medicine. Do you think they're going to nuke me? I hope not. What? Uh, mm. I don't know. That that was the what well, I'm speaking to on yeah. the Institute of Nuclear Medicine at the university. They're actually um, the the company makes uh, the drugs that they treat cancer with. So uh, that's that's their big thing, you know. And so are you so. are you an oncologist or something on the side that you didn't tell us about? No, they, they no they has has he <laughs> just said that. Threat, threat, <laughs> amateur, uh, and error management is a big part of our industry. So, you know, ah, gotcha. we'd like to. Oh yeah, you know, they've learned a like lot. a light, a light-hearted talk uh, that gotcha. might mention something about TEM. Yeah, so, uh, that's you, you know, go. as we've I, talked about over over time here on the show, uh, that 
a lot of these um, professions have, you know, kind of taken a lot from and adopted a lot of our uh, cock or we used to call it crew resource or cockpit resource management, but yeah, resource it, management. It changed yeah. as they realized that the crews was getting were getting pretty small. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, the cockpit was getting pretty small. The crew was getting pretty big. Yes, so it, yeah, it's yeah, more sense. Oh, that's awesome! But, You're going to uh, be a great speaker for that. Well, I, I I'll wait anyway. and see. I'll see. <laughs> Cover art. We're going to say cover you are anyway. Art. <laughs> yeah, All cover right. art. Right, cover art. Squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. Um, we were talking about. Britain's first astronaut, and none of us knew who it was. So I assumed it was the squirrel that I shot into the air off one of our fireworks uh, because it was Guy also Fox. nearly November the 5th. Uh, remember, remember, uh, 5th of November uh, when Guy Fawkes tried to blow up Parliament, and we celebrate that with lots of fireworks. So Very impressive. Um, yeah, my... My aim was to uh, illustrate Britain's first astronaut as a squirrel on a rocket. So that's what and the you number got. Was now, did very you? Very hard to find. I don't know. I can still see it. If you look up, well, because you're stars, the one that put it in there. I mean, <laughs> you know, you can uh, see it. A third of the way along on the top is a five on its side ish. Okay, and then underneath, yeah, in the stars, underneath the um, the squirrel. In stars is a nine, and its tail goes into that left-hand firework. And then the three is really easy. It's sort of from the squirrel's nose all the way down to the word first astronaut. Ah, so that's where the yeah. three is. That's it. It's the 593 constellation. Exactly. That's indeed, yes. That's a famous one, yes. Yeah. Fabulous. Brilliant. So that was that. Fabulous. Very nice. Fabulous. I'm hoping for a better... Uh, uh, something to illustrate this, although I quite enjoyed that. It, the, some of these programs are just rubbish at producing, um, you know, something as simple as a squirrel. So some of them are good, some of them are rubbish. Uh, I've had a, had a lot of fun with that one. Though. Yeah, it looks great, as always. Coffee fun Wonderful time. artwork. Coffee fun time. It is coffee fun time. Oh, that means I can go and have a pee. Thanks. Okay, go, go pee. And Jeff Smith and I will... Sing about coffee. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. coffee. Oh, there's two. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the job in me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. The coffee fund. It's the time of the show where we kind of uh, thank these wonderful people that decide to support us financially. Now, you can do that, too, if you want, if you have the resources to do so. If you're somebody who needs to have their money to eat and put clothing on their bodies Learn and food on their table and roof over their head and what was the other thing, Liz? Learn how to fly. Learn how to fly, yeah. Flying lessons. That's the most important of all those things I just mentioned. Anyway, don't do it. Yeah, it's a free show. We do it because we love you. Uh, but if you love us, and uh, have the financial resources to uh, show us that, uh, please check out the Coffee Fund. And since the last show, we have had a couple of, no, just one person use the Coffee Fund Classic method, a very, very nice, generous contribution from Christian Harry. And uh, let me read, he did send us uh, a note along with his 
Coffee Fund contribution. Thanks for the great work, especially Captain Jeff. Yes, I love this guy. Uh, been listening for years since before I got into aviation and just started with Acme earlier this year. Yay! Long overdue for a Coffee Fund contribution. Hey, thanks. Appreciate that, uh, Christian. And congrats on getting on uh, with Acme, the best airline in the world. And sorry, if you're somebody who's not with Acme, you know. I mean, if you know, you know. You know. Anyway, uh, another thing that you can do or a way to become a financial supporter of our show is something that we like to call, well, they call, we have nothing to do with it, Patreon. Patreon.com slash Airline Pilot Guy. You can uh, pledge a certain amount per episode if you'd like. And uh, we have a couple different tier levels, but uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, Give whatever you want. And we have a new executive producer, James Mack, who happens to be with us in our live recording today, in our live audience. Yay. Thank you, James. Executive producer, so happy that you joined us. And um, yeah, so if you want to join these fine people like James and like Christian, head over to airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. And we will too. So uh, producer is telling us that we're going to go directly to the plane tail before we tackle some feedback. And it's a great one. So here we go. Without further ado, let's hear what the old pilot has for us this week on the plane tail. Take it away. The old pilot's plane tails. The consequence of a deliberate act. It's September 1987 and NATO were involved in a massive military exercise in the Mediterranean off the coast of Sardinia called Display Determination 87. More than 40 ships from four countries took part, which, apart from other objectives, tested the ability of NATO forces with mechanised attacks on the rolling hills of Capo Teolada. In one of the task forces taking part in the exercise was the USS Saratoga, a Forrestal-class supercarrier commissioned in 1956 and the second to be named after the Battle of Saratoga, part of the American War of Independence. From her early days, the Saratoga had formed part of the US presence in the Mediterranean Sea and she toured there frequently. In June 1987, she was on her 19th deployment to the area when she took part in Display Determination 87. Within the exercise, there were many tactical scenarios being played out in addition to the amphibious landings, one of which was a simulated attack on the Saratoga's task force by a pair of F-16s. Two of the Saratoga's F-14 Tomcats were tasked to defend the carrier against this attack. The leader of this small formation included a senior pilot and skipper of a newly arrived junior grade lieutenant, Timothy Dorsey. Dorsey had just joined his unit, the VF-74, a fighter squadron known as the Bedevilers. Apparently, it didn't take the young Dorsey long to commit his first faux pas, 
by announcing to the senior aviator that his call sign would be smoke. No, it's not, was the firm reply. Naval nicknames that became personal call signs are never chosen by the owner of such a moniker, but gifted to them by their colleagues, usually after some embarrassing blunder to remind them of their transgression. The Saratoga left port to start its participation in exercise display determination, and on the 22nd of September 1987 things were well underway. On that day, a pair of USAF F-16s were expected to run an attack on the Naval Task Force with the aim of finding the aircraft carrier and running a mock attack on the vessel. The pair of F-14s had been briefed to launch with the aim of opposing this attack. In the number two aircraft was the newly arrived Lieutenant Junior Grade, Timothy Dorsey, with a senior radar intercept officer, Rio, Lieutenant Commander Edmund Dutch Holland, in the back to keep an eye on him. Leading the pair was a senior pilot with Dorsey's skipper in the back seat. During the start-up, the lead aircraft developed a technical fault that prevented him from flying, so Dorsey was dispatched to fly the mission alone. He duly completed his preparation and taxied his aircraft towards the catapult to launch. As he waited for the aircraft ahead to depart, he was told to go purple to switch to the encrypted frequency, whereupon he was informed of a change to their mission and was given a different vector to depart on. When the time came, Dorsey and Holland hooked up to the catapult shoe, the JBD jet blast deflectors were raised and they were fired from the deck. They launched with a fully armed aircraft, the reason for which is a little unclear except to say that the area of the Mediterranean had a number of countries that were far from friendly to the United States and it would not have been unusual to arm a proportion of their aircraft. In the aftermath of this story, the Navy would officially state that depending on the exercise and nature of it, they may or may not use live weapons. As they climbed away from the carrier, the F-14 crew headed north to intercept an exercise attacker that had been detected. The aircraft in question was the United States Air Force RF-4 Phantom, callsign of Vodka 5-1, that had launched from the Italian airbase at Aviano. Aboard were Captain Mike Ross and behind him the Weapons Systems Officer, WSO, First Lieutenant Mike Sprouse. They went feet wet as they crossed the West Italian coast and set off across the Tyrrhenian Sea looking for the KC-135 tanker that they were to rendezvous with. Once they'd located it, they slipped in behind and began to top up their tanks. It was while they were in contact that Mike Sprouse looked over his shoulder and noticed an F-14 sitting a little way off their wing. It was Dorsey, and he had already found his target. Having topped up, the RF-4 turned away from the tanker and started to search for the ship, noting while they did that the Tomcat had not stayed to refuel but was following them. 
On that day, the F-4's tactical electronic reconnaissance, TEREC, equipment, that provided precision direction finding, passive ranging and emitter threat identification, wasn't cooperating. But then they noticed that the TACAN, the tactical air navigation beacon, on board the Saratoga was up and transmitting, on the same channel that it had been three days earlier. With a solid lock on the carrier's position, they started to descend on their simulated attack run. All the while, Dorsey had been trailing the Phantom for some 15 minutes now. He had been fortunate to have found the F-4 so early, and would probably be getting a natter boy for engaging it at the beginning of its attack run. Since he was visual, and his target was only a mile or two away, he tried to lock the Tomcat's radar to it using the PLM pilot lock mode, but the radar wouldn't hold lock as the RF-4 had a jamming pod on board and was also dropping chaff. Since his radar wouldn't track, Dorsey decided to lock his target up with an AIM-9 Sidewinder missile, the seeker head of which was quite capable of following the target. Now in a position to take down the Phantom, Dorsey asked for instructions, and the reply from his controller was red and free, indicating that he was clear to engage. Probably everyone in the entire exercise, except perhaps Dorsey, would realise that this command required a simulated attack on the friendly USAF aircraft that Dorsey had in his sights but the F-14 pilot had completely misunderstood the command. He asked his Rio, Does that mean they want me to shoot this guy? His backseater replies, Yeah, shoot, and clearly calls to the strike controller that they are firing a simulated FOX-2, code for a heat-seeking missile. Dorsey armed his weapons and squeezed the trigger. There was still a moment when this situation could have been salvaged, because the selected weapon failed to fire. It didn't go, exclaimed Dorsey. Whilst he was rejecting the useless missile and selecting an alternative one, the controller on the radio interrupts them by questioning their status. Before his Rio in the back can process what Dorsey is doing or get a word in to question his statement, the pilot pulls the trigger a second time, and this time he is rewarded by a roar as the sidewinder leaps off the rails. Dorsey watches the winder dip low and run inside the turn, and then he saw it hit around the stabilator on the port side, followed by a big fireball. The exploding warhead had blown the tail off the Phantom completely, and in an uncontrollable descent of minus 2.5 g, the RF-4 accelerates to over 550 knots before the unfortunate, but so far uninjured, crew can eject. The Phantom pilot shouts that they have firelights on and that they should get out. I'm gone, replies his backseater. As they punch out of the stricken aircraft, the G-forces prevented them from adopting a good posture, and as a result, the pilot, Captain Ross, suffered leg, shoulder, and long-term back injuries. In the F-14, 
The Rio, Dutch Holland, saw the burning remains of the phantom and asked incredulously, You shot him down? After which he puts out a mayday call, stating that they had splashed the Fox Four. It would appear that Dorsey's choice of smoke as his personal call sign had been a good one after all. As the Tomcats circled over the downed Phantom crew, they watched the burning wreckage slip beneath the surface. The realisation of what he had just done must have finally come home to Dorsey, who said, I'm sorry, I guess I kind of screwed this up. Even though they were only five miles from the Saratoga, it took half an hour for a helicopter to find and rescue Ross and Sprouse, but when located, they were brought aboard. By then, the F-14 had landed back on, and the crew were staring at the empty Sidewinder station and the black scorch marks the missile firing had left. The Saratoga's captain met the Air Force crew and told them the truth. We shot you down, Captain Frost said. We really shot you down, and we're really sorry. You're kidding, right? Sprouse asked. No, we shot you down. Now, seriously, you're kidding, right? Sprouse asked again. In this case, I wish I was, Frost said. Geez, guys, I thought we were on the same side, Sprouse said. Well, we normally are, Frost said. Today it didn't work out like that. Sprouse, the phantom Wizzo, was furious and had to be held back to prevent him from going looking for the pilot that shot him down. In the aftermath, the Navy convened a FENAB, a Field Naval Aviators Evaluation Board, to examine the circumstances that led Dorsey to engage United States Air Force aircraft with live missiles. Dorsey's defence which was partly accepted by the board, was that during his training on a simulator assessment, it failed a trip for lack of decisiveness by not responding promptly to a red and free instruction. He was apparently informed that this command meant that he should engage with live weapons. He also indicated confusion over his change of orders prior to launching, which led him to believe that he was no longer part of the exercise, but on a live mission. In addition, in the back of his mind was the information that he picked up that rogue actors might be trying to hijack military aircraft to use against US forces. Whilst the board accepted some of these points, they failed to accept that, having watched the RF-4 refuel from a USAF KC-135 tanker before heading towards the carrier, it was possible that Dorsey could have reasonably mistaken this aircraft for anything other than a genuine Air Force fighter. The final decision of the board was that Dorsey could continue to wear his Navy wings but would be permanently grounded, never to pilot a Navy aircraft again. Subsequent endorsements of these findings by senior Navy commanders were more scathing of Dorsey's actions. The battle group commander wrote that the destruction of United States Air Force RF-4C 
was not the result of an accident, but the consequence of a deliberate act, Dorsey's subsequent reaction to the radio command, demonstrated an absolute disregard of the known facts and circumstances. He failed to utilise the decision-making process taught in replacement training and reacted in a purely mechanical manner. The performance of Lieutenant Timothy W. Dorsey on September 22, 1987, raises substantial doubt as to his capacity for good sound judgment. In another opinion, the commander of the Sixth Fleet stated, We necessarily rely on the self-discipline and judgment of pilots to prevent such incidents. We have no other choice. Nothing, in my opinion, can mitigate Lieutenant Dorsey's basic error in judgment. With such damning verdicts on Lieutenant Dorsey's character and ability, one might well think that he would leave the Navy and slip quietly into anonymity. At least that's what the RF-4 pilot, Captain Ross, the victim of this affair, assumed. The injuries he suffered during his ejection developed into a lifelong fight to overcome permanent disability. The damage caused to his spine left him in permanent pain and resulted in degeneration that more than 30 operations couldn't halt. He was forced to give up his flying career and leave the Air Force prematurely. He reached the rank of Lieutenant Colonel but was medically discharged just months before he would have qualified for a full regular pension. It was in 2012 that Ross discovered that he'd been wrong about Dorsey. He hadn't disappeared into obscurity. Fifteen years after being forced into early retirement, he learned that Dorsey had been nominated for promotion to a one-star rear admiral, an appointment that required congressional approval. It appeared that after leaving active duty, Dorsey had joined the Naval Reserve Intelligence Programme. In his spare time, he attended law school, graduating magna cum laude from the University of Richmond. His career in intelligence flourished, and along with a blooming career as a civilian lawyer, he assumed command of the Defence Intelligence Agency headquarters and was later Navy Reserve Inspector General in Norfolk, Virginia. After all that he'd suffered, Lieutenant Colonel Ross, retired, felt indignant that Dorsey hadn't been thrown out of the Navy for his actions and has subsequently enjoyed a fine career that was about to get even better. He wrote to his own congressman, who took Ross's complaint to the committee that reviewed these promotions. Shortly after the promotion nomination went public, Dorsey sent Ross a letter, which partly read, I was unaware you suffered from any lingering injuries. I'm truly sorry for the incident, and even sorrier for its impact on you. Although by then Ross had forgiven Dorsey, his complaint to Congress raised the issue of Dorsey's previous record, something that was noticeably absent 
from his official career highlights. The Senate decided not to act on the Navy's recommendation of promoting Dorsey, and any such hopes that he might achieve the rank of Rear Admiral were dashed. He left the Navy the following year. One final twist in the story was that at the time of the incident, Lieutenant Dorsey's father was serving as the captain of the Kitty Hawk class carrier USS America, and it was rumoured that he had also been involved in a friendly fire incident during the Vietnam War. My thanks to Boom Operator Chris for bringing this story to my attention. So you're saying it runs in the family? Well, yeah, kind of. Um, <laughs> apparently shot down his own wingman. I mean, I can't verify that, so I can't state that as a fact. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the missiles sometimes go haywire. They sometimes miss their target and just grab another heat source. Or it's very easy in the heat of combat to misidentify an aircraft. But, um, yeah, apparently. Uh, and, of course, there was the feeling that Dorsey had um, been dealt with very, had not very, favorably by the... Um, uh, his the board that investigated him and uh, some people voiced the opinion that um, it was because of his father's high position as the commander of another carrier so that all that was kind of thrown in the mix but i thought it made a fascinating story um, not one that i had ever heard of uh, and i always thought that ah uh, the one i covered previously of our lovely phantom pilot Roy Lawrence uh, taking out uh, a Jaguar in Germany. I thought that was the only one, but I, I have subsequently found a few more, uh, and that was the latest. Including the one where you shot down? Oh. <laughs> we keep it quiet sorry, about I'm that, Jeff. Yeah, my bad. Shh, I'll, shh. I'll take that out yeah. in post. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. You shot down no. a Starlifter, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I tried to shoot down the Starlifter. I missed it. and. <laughs> Hits, How do you miss someone, a star lifter? Yeah, hit, sit someone nice instead. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, great story. Thank you very much indeed, Boom Operator. Uh, that was Boom brilliant. Boom Operator. Um, yeah, I know. It's a great song, that, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, so, someone else sent me a new one for next time. Well, as well. I, I was a little bit distracted listening to that. I got little bits and pieces of that. But I'm thinking, what? how did he... Think that uh, did he know that he was firing a live missile? Uh, yeah, he did. He he deliberately armed his weapons and took this bloke out. So he, th there was a bit of um, intelligence that had been briefed, or now, lack thereof. Yeah, um, whether he heard it from other pilots in the ready room, or uh, some suggestion was that it was an intel briefing that they got on a TV. It was piped down a TV screen. Um, but they were told that there had been rumours of a rogue actor that was going to try and steal uh, a USAF aircraft and kamikaze into a carrier uh, uh. in a, a method of attacking it. Uh, and um, he had that in the back of his mind. 
He also had misinterpreted what the order red and free meant. Now, I've tried to get some information on that, but I really can't. I've, I've not found it in any of the brevity codes. I don't know if it's just a Navy term. Uh, I'm assuming free referred to weapons free uh, as opposed to weapons tight. Uh, the red, I'm assuming, is, you know, that's uh, red uh, classifies it as a target. Um, so when he was told that his target was red and free, he only assumed that he actually had to engage it. So he did it deliberately thinking that this what, what this is his defense anyway, was oh. a rogue actor. So he lived up his missiles. When the first one had a motor failure, when the first one didn't go, he, selected, he, he rejected it, selected a second weapon, locked that weapon and fired that and blew the guy out the sky. Uh, and the first um, one was uh, God saying, uh-uh, don't, don't do don't this. Do yes, that. that's right. And yes. the second one is like, okay, well, if you're going to... give you gonna, a chance now, son. <laughs> if you're going to disregard me, <laughs> Don't then, mess okay. this up. I yeah. mean, the fact is that he had uh, a lieutenant commander, a very senior pilot, uh, no, Rio, in his back seat, and he didn't confirm me. He, he did say, they want me to shoot this guy down. Well, he didn't say, for real, or, and the guy transmitted that he was that they were taking a simulated fox too, but uh, Dorsey had it in his head that he was supposed to uh, actually shoot this airplane down. Uh, partly because possibly he got this incorrect impression during training that that's what this order meant. Um, no one has set him straight on that, uh, and. Uh, it was very early in his career, so he was pretty inexperienced. So, you know, all the pile of that together, I think his squadron could have probably done things a bit different. The training environment could have done things a bit different to make sure that he didn't arrive on the front line with these m misapprehensions, but uh, apparently not. Well, I it was great. Thank you. A great um Plaintail, Nick, and I think that UH Blackhawk in our live audience sums it up um, pretty well. well yeah, screw up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he did. Yeah, and climbed the, the greasy pole and was doing very well as an intelligence officer. That's why a lot of people, with the intention of making careers in the military, decide maybe that wasn't a great idea and I'll leave and... Fly airplanes for airlines instead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why? Who? Who did you shoot down? Well, I no, it wasn't me. I'd always <laughs> intended to. Uh, I guess it's safe for me to <laughs> say that now that I'm finished with my airline career and my air force career. And uh, what was Neil Excellent. saying, Liz? Neil was saying, uh, in only a few episodes, we'll hear all about the friendly fire incidents involving the A340-600. Yeah, I yeah. but I managed to use my chaff and flares to great. Um, result. They missed me. By the way, the 600 episode, we're going to have a big party and we're going to announce where we're going to be holding it and it's going to be... No, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. <laughs> 500 uh, taught me that don't want to don't want to do a big thing. <laughs> maybe <laughs> the 1,000th episode. If I'm still alive, uh, maybe we'll do something special. We'll do something but, uh, next year. Well, we'll yeah. We're, we're, we're probably going to have some kind of a big meetup um and uh retirement celebration for uh for captain nick and captain jeff right as you know captain nick we never did have one for you no we didn't well you did oh, well, kind of no you some did friends uh, came over yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah i was did. there that's yeah. right but we didn't have a big one in the oh forget it they'll just be well, for we don't me need then. a big one that's fine yeah. 
That's okay, guys. You got half you an said. hour left. Okay. Um, Liz is talking. Got yes. half an hour left. Yep, half an half an hour left. Okay. Yep. Okay. Just just letting you know. Okay. Anything else? No. No. Okay. Uh, beautiful. Um, let's. Oh, I need to hit the feedback thing here, don't I? Because we haven't played that yet. Correct. So I think after that amazing plain tale, and they're all great. Uh, we're going to go ahead and cover some feedback. Captain, incoming message. This in from Steve. He says, hi, APG crew and the others. Oh, wait, no, that encompasses everybody. Never mind. Uh, fabulous show again. Keep up the good work. Some feedback for you on APG 592 regarding baggage left on a flight. Back in 1997, I was flying from Palma, Mallorca to Luton. With my family, oh, that would be Luton, London, wouldn't it? Or London, Luton. Yeah, that's indeed, yes. Yeah, with my family on board a Monarch Airlines A300-600. Uh, uh, our good friend, uh, Captain Al, I think that uh, he's uh, he was with Monarch. Yeah, I nearly ended up flying those. Yeah, that's right. You were almost with I Monarch. I was a week away from starting the course when I joined Virgin instead. Ah, well, boarding and refueling were delayed due to, due to a thunderstorm, but eventually we got underway. Back at Luton, we were waiting for our baggage on the converter, uh, or I guess I mean the conveyor. There was lots of baggage, but no one was claiming so no, it. Uh, you're actually right, Jeff, it's a converter. <laughs> it it was... turns baggage into a mashed up pile of rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> or it converts the baggage that was supposed to be there into baggage from some other flight. Yes, that's the other thing. <laughs> yep. So there was lots of baggage, but no one was claiming it. After quite a while, I went to look at a baggage tag and discovered that it was for the outbound flight. Oh, wow. Myself and fellow passengers unloaded the baggage and eventually our bags appeared. Oh, okay. Good. They got theirs. I assume Monarch eventually got the bags back out to Mallorca and the holiday makers. No, they just left them on the floor for the poor, the poor punters <laughs> to come back two weeks later and find them. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just they're trying to help the, the economy and uh, Palma and Mallorca <laughs> yeah, and right. uh, well, buying new clothing. You and, use a lot less fuel if you don't take the bags. Yeah, that's true too. Uh, one question: Why the why in the introduction for Doctor Staff do you stay do you say backstabbing? Ah, so, you know, well, I, we, we forget sometimes that people are new to uh, to our show. And uh, Dr. Steph, her profession, her, her real job is um, injecting uh, people in the spine with stuff like, what is it, um, uh, cortisone? IPA. And, IP, and I don't think she in cortisone? I mean, IPAs, I don't think so. Um what what else, Liz? What uh, she does I think, like? I, th I think sort of uh, yeah, cortisone, steroids and stuff. Steroids and, and other kind of medications and and, and uh, yeah. epidurals and that kind of thing. So she, I put the picture royal of the old, honey. I've, I've got the old getting to know us up and she, there oh, she is thank you. Her, okay, I wasn't looking. Uh, so the here's the uh, if you're watching the video, the old um, getting to know you uh, picture that uh, we used to display for that segment. And you can see in the bottom right-hand corner, Dr. Steph looking much, much better in my Delta cap, uh, flight um, hat. And uh, then, of course, in the in the very far uh, right-hand corner is Dr. Steph work? with her syringe and uh, mask. And she has this very, I don't know, um, 
kind of scary look yeah. uh, in her eyes that, because she does enjoy poking people or backstabbing people. That's where we get the, uh, the reference, or that's why we say backstabbing jumper yep. dumper. That's the one. Wishing you blue skies and gentle landings. Kindest regards from Steve Simpson. Yeah, wow. That's uh, I'm sure that this has happened many times where you know luggage has been misdirected and uh, misappropriated. But as we mentioned when we covered this incident of the. Uh, whatever the airline was, um, it, it's, it can be a kind of a serious thing when yeah. you're using your, your, your weight and balance information on a certain load. And if you don't have the correct load, then that can throw off yeah. so many things. There's also an amazing place, I'm pretty sure it's in the States, where yes, they yes. get sent all the lost baggage that never actually makes it to the rightful owners and after a few weeks they send it to this place and they auction the suitcases so it's my place right here it's been in the background i don't know if you can see the suitcases yeah it seems sometimes the airlines make very you know meager efforts to find the owners of these things and they just assume they'll claim on insurance and they send them off to this auction place and you can get some real bargains down there. If you I like can it. imagine that's a huge expense for an airline to try to get, you know, passengers reunited with their luggage. Yeah. Thank the Lord for air tags. Yes. All right. Thanks, Steve. Um, let's continue on with uh, Paul. Um, he's been sending us a lot of audio feedback and we played uh, one of his earlier when we were covering one of the news items. And uh, I think we're going to play one more here. Let's see what Paul has to tell us about here using SpeakPipe. Hello, Captain Jeff and the others. Steph, Rick, Nick, Liz, come. Ah, you see what he did there? Somebody sent us some feedback that said Captain Jeff and the others. Macho man. How are you guys doing? Thanks for doing the show. You guys are awesome. Anyway, this is Paul. That's enough. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> um, we're, he just wanted That's to call in and uh, I, tell I'm us that we're awesome. Waiting to hear. Oh, okay, here we go. No, I don't have any birds. Just want to put some birds. sound effects in there just to kind of make it a little less boring feedback. Do you remember the one where he was talking about his trip to Singapore and we heard all those birds in the background? Yeah. And I just assumed it like he was in some kind of a exotic lobby hotel with exotic birds and stuff like that. No, he added that in as a special effect. Okay. I didn't want to keep you guys in suspense. I apologize. The answer to the question about the 23 seats that they wanted 23 people to give up on my Singapore flight from San Francisco and they gave you a bunch of money and they compensated you for hotel and meal and all that and take the next flight. Because, as my flight attendant friend pointed out to me at the end of the flight, weight and balance cargo. Apparently, there was some cargo that had to go. Mm, what, 5,000 pounds of cargo or so? That's a lot of cargo that had to be there. Okay. So, that is the answer to the question on that one. What are you and Jake from State Farm? Oh, my... <laughs> Insurance agent texted me. <laughs> now, do you really think that it was his State Farm 
That agent. sounded like him. I think so. Yeah. What are you wearing, Jake from Jake State Farm? From State Farm. Yeah. Uh, that's anyway, funny. that's the answer to that question. So I don't have anything else right now, but uh, thanks again. You guys take care. Bye. Now, it may not have been um, the that they had to have that specific cargo, you know, 5,000 pounds worth of cargo on because, and the reason why I say that is because when I was brand new at, um, Delta, um, we, um, my wife and I went on a, a little vacation taking advantage of our flying benefits and we flew to, uh, Germany and then we did the Rhine river cruise and it was oh, a great lovely. time. And we, on, on the way back, we, we ended up in Munich and I'm thinking, okay, you know, we flew into Frankfurt and we and and we thought we'd fly from Munich back to Atlanta. And so we go bebopping up to the ticket counter, and this lady, the ticket agent, is looking at us, and she almost had like this funny smirk on her face. And and I said, she said, May may we help you? May I help you? And I said, Yeah, we're we're listed for the flight back to Atlanta. And she goes, <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, this was before Munich extended their runway. So they had a kind of short runway. It was uh, late October. So the winds were kind of strong over the Atlantic and they were, uh, limited load limited, uh, from that runway. So they could only take a certain number of passengers. So it had nothing to do with the cargo. Actually, it had everything to do with the fact that, you know, weight and balance for that short runway and the fuel that they had to have to make it all the way back to Atlanta for Munich. And she says, well, I'm sure that you have your, your supervisor, something or other, something or other. I don't know what she was saying. It was like all Gobbledygook. You know, foreign language to me. <laughs> yeah, some, some kind of a special you know, pass or uh, whatever authorization. And I, and I was just looking at her with a blank stare and probably had my mouth open and a little bit of drool coming out of the <laughs> side of my mouth. And she goes, well, lucky for you. <laughs> I have the authority to give you that um, authorization, and I'm still trying to figure out what she is talking about. She says, we're going to put you on Lufthansa, where you're going to fly on the 727 flight up from here to uh, Frankfurt, and then uh, you can catch one of the uh, uh, flights from Frankfurt back to Atlanta. And oh, what a, nice, what a nice agent. Yeah, she actually it worked out well, but I could just tell that she had done this so many times. She goes... You know, this, we have been, I forgot what exactly what she said, but we haven't carried non-revenue passengers for like a month. Wow. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, yeah. and this was back in the days before we had computers and you can look at the loads and all this, you know, this information that we have now. And I had no idea what she was talking about. So I learned very quickly uh, that uh, weight and balance and loads and passenger loads and fuel and all that kind of stuff uh, kind of are, oh, yeah. uh, are something yeah. that... Quick story from Johannesburg where we had a similar problem because the airport's five and a half thousand feet up and uh, it's hot. Uh, and in the old days with the 340-300s, didn't have very powerful engines, so we were often weight limited. So we had seats on board, but we couldn't carry um, staff passengers. Anyway, we had um, one wife who uh, my first officer was desperate to uh, get her home, uh, hadn't made a lot of other arrangements for her. Um, so I said, oh, okay, I'll tell you what we'll do. We will um, scrub a couple of hundred kgs of taxi fuel. And our 
taxi fuel is if you do that you're effectively saying you'll get airborne 200 kgs lower weight which gives you 200 kgs spare which is more than enough to fit a lady I was going to say she was a big woman. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we only need one hundred. We only needed one hundred kg because <laughs> ladies, I think, used to weigh seventy-two kilos in those days, but uh, with, ah. with baggage. Uh, in those anyway, days. Um, that was that was what I did. Anyway, I said to, to our uh, agent there, uh, who was this young Aryan blonde uh, chap, and uh, I said. Uh, yeah, we'll scrub a couple of hundred kgs of taxi, blah, blah, this is what we'll do, and then we can get her on. And he looked at me in the eye and said, Captain, if you take 200 fuels, kgs of fuel off the airplane, I will put on 200 kgs of cargo. <laughs> and I went, what? Oh, no. And Well, I unfortunately, I didn't have the authority to stop him from doing that. Because wow. what I was doing was twisting the rules a little bit. Yeah. And what he was doing was not playing the game. He was going to, well, if you're going to give me 200 kgs more, I'm not putting a passenger on, I'm putting cargo on. So he knew what you were doing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, man. So I just looked at him and said, next time you want to go staff travel on one of my airplanes, you better make other arrangements. <laughs> Sadly, we had to leave the lady behind. I oh, had no alternative, man. but there you go. What but a jerk. He never you, traveled on they... one of my airplanes, by the way. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, That's sad. Trying to help out, and what do you get? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm hoping that karma will, you know, somehow got got back to him. UH Blackhawk has a comment. Bad on karma. Why they UH Blackhawk says it might be perishable cargo that must go, such as flowers or food. Yeah, yeah. I guess it could be. It could be. Yeah. I mean, it may not have anything to do with what I was talking about, but yeah. or it might yeah. have been a you know McLaren F1 sports car that someone very rich wanted to have at their destination. Singapore, could yeah, could be. Yeah, yeah, could be. All righty. Well, very good. Uh, thank you for that, um, Paul. And uh, let's continue on with this from Eva. Yeah, she was now, in the chat earlier. I don't know if she's Oh, there. she was in the chat earlier, Liz is telling us. Uh, I don't know if she's still there or not, but uh, – uh, Captain Nick and I remember Eva well. We were uh, uh, for in back in July. We got to meet Eva and at the uh, meetup at the um, uh, at the RAF museum or uh, not at the Beaufort, well, yeah, the Beaufort she was at pub. the RAF museum and the Beaufort Pub. Thank you, Liz. And uh, we uh, ended up getting a, a a nice lift from her back to Liz uh, as she made her way back to the coast. I believe. Yeah. Right. It was very nice because yeah. it was a bit out of her way, and she took these yeah. two hairy old men in her car <laughs> and did a, and did a great yeah. job. She's uh, a brave, yeah. kind of a kind of dangerous, uh, very brave she, woman, as Liz. Very brave. <laughs> so she writes in, "Hello, Captains Jeff and Nick, Nick C, Doctor Steph, the elusive Miami Rick, and wonderful Liz." Oh, she's still uh, here. It was she's a, still there. Oh, good. She's still here. Awesome. Uh, it was a pleasure to get to meet Captains Jeff and Nick at the London meetup earlier this year. Thank you for the drink, Liz. Yeah, dr Liz bought a round for oh, yeah, that was, several people. Uh, yeah, yeah, it went down very well, Liz. It did. I remember it well. It went down so well. Um, I hope to uh, meet you someday and return the favor. Having listened to the podcast almost daily for over a year now. Oh, my gosh. You must 
She must well, have the, she's uh, got syndrome. the syndrome badly. I hadn't appreciated how starstruck I'd feel meeting the captains and Pilot Pip. Oh, he's the and, handsome one. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's the one that's the celebrity. And uh, also how difficult it is to make conversation without sounding like a stalker, seemingly <laughs> knowing so much about your day-to-day exploits. I understand that, too, because I used to be, before I was a podcaster, I was a podcast listener, and I understand exactly what you're talking you're about. You're a groupie. It's just like, yeah, you're a groupie, and you, these people yeah. are celebrities, and they start talking, and you go, oh, yeah, 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 you told me about that, blah, blah, and they go, what? I talked about that on the show? Yeah. Um, I met a wonderful bunch of folks that day, notably Pilot Pip who kindly endured a barrage of questions, and Tariq, who has since been uh, ha- has since become a dear friend and mentor, Excellent. helping me well enormously done. with cadet scheme applications, amongst other things. Yeah, Tar- Tarek is... I said Tariq, it's Tarek, um, I believe, right? Tarek? Yeah, um, that's the way you said it before. Oh, did I? Okay. I don't know why I thought I said Tariq. I would never have met these and other wonderful people had it not been for your show and the amazing network you bring together. So thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. Uh, I had promised to send in feedback when I met you all, although felt uh, it a little vainglorious to just send in my news. However, I can comment on some feedback provided by Marcus in episode 592 regarding uh, FRTOLs. What did you call that, uh, Nick? Fartles? Bottles, yeah. Uh, listening squawks and Irv Lee. I too did the Fartle preparation course he offers and found it very informative. I'd not known he created the listening squawks, but knowing Irv, I'm not surprised. He is incredibly knowledgeable and a real asset to GA. And we're not talking about the state of Georgia and the U.S., we're talking about general aviation. I get confused by that sometimes. Uh, my little bit of news is that I recently passed my PPL skills test with none other than Herb Excellent. as my examiner. Yay! Oh, he sounds he like Father Christmas, so good choice. Absolutely. All right, uh, let's see. He was excellent and really helped me feel at ease while putting me through the paces. So I'd wholeheartedly recommend him for anyone UK side looking for instruction, exam prep, or examination. Uh, having done the uh, FRTOL exam recently, I can say I found it rather fun, albeit nerve-wracking. On the day the examiner gives you a route sheet, some time to some time to plot the route and identify the uh, radio transmission calls you might make. They then sit in another room and act as ATC as you virtually fly the route, making the appropriate calls with a simulated emergency or urgency issue thrown in at some point too. I also have a comment regarding Nick C's question about how listening squawks compare to flight following. The area around Lee on Solent? Is that Solent. Yep. How you say Lee that? on Solent, yeah. No, Solent's okay. a river. Lee's a village or an airfield at Lee on Solent. Ah, okay. Lee on Solent that I fly out of get uh, pretty busy, can get pretty busy. So I've made use of listening squawks when available. Uh, frequencies such as Farnborough radar to the west can get very busy with the controllers doing an incredible job of GA whack-a-mole, <laughs> whack-a-mole fielding clearances, Excellent zone transit service. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so on days where the frequency is congested and I don't need a clearance or service, I stay on the frequency with the listening squawks. Like you guessed, Jeff, it means the controller knows I'm listening, so I can contact, or so they can contact me if they need to. But there's no expectation for either side to get in contact. Otherwise, I think it's very smart. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, my understanding is that using a listening squawk isn't technically considered to be an ATC service. It's just another tool to help with the likes of infringement, avoidance, and SA. In the UK, we have basic traffic deconfliction and procedural services offered, with basic and traffic being available to VFR pilots where controller workload allows. From listening to opposing bases, I believe that flight following sits somewhere between our basic and traffic service provisions. Uh, CAP1434 has a great overview of the services on offer for anyone wanting any further information. I can only speak to my experience, but in brief, there are only a handful of locations you can go to get an initial class one done in the UK, which meant at the time I booked mine, 2022, the waiting time was about Good six Lord. months. Really? Wow. Oh, oh, you're coming in broken. Why is that? Uh, is it just me? Yeah, no, uh, he's fine here. Ah, shoot. What's happened? So I have hardwired Ethernet that is like 250 oh, yeah. down. Well, your video is still a bit uh, blocky. Damn it. Um, it's probably having just a minor hiccup. Just drink wine. Yeah, in fact, open a new on. bottle. Open a new bottle, and by the time you pour your first glass, you'll be fine. This is Guys, crap. I'm you got about you. seven minutes till the three hour mark, just FYI. See, I always hear Liz just fine. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? But you're, you're sounding okay now. Don't worry. Yeah, carry, carry on. on. Carry on. You're still kind of going. Blah, 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 blah. No, he's fine for me. Okay. <laughs> exactly. I think that's the title oh. of the next show, of the cover art. I know. People are making fun of my vocabulary <laughs> and, and dictation and. Is that right? Dictation? No. Um, Diction. 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 Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's what she said. In there. I'll have some diction, fun please. Of your, no, I could say uh, it. Well, I wish <laughs> she'd said that. <laughs> Anybody out there that. Oh, never mind. Um, finish Eva's thing off there. Okay. I'm sorry. Eva, I, I'm sorry this happened during the middle of your of your uh, feedback. Your lovely okay, feedback. The, By the way, you missed out a, uh, a sentence. You skipped. <laughs> It started, I, really? I also recollect. Why doesn't Nick carry on there? Where does it say I also recollect? Underneath cap 1434. Ah, I certainly did. So I'm going to have Captain Nick continue because I am obviously not capable yeah, blah, 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 blah. of finishing okay. this. Yes. I, I also really, uh, I can't say. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> I also recollect a question. I, I don't know why I deserve a bleeper for that. That was very rude. I it also recollect a, a question. A the beeper is Nick. this. Oh, is that right? Okay. okay. Now start. Start. Right. Wait. Hang on. Hang on. Shh, 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 shh. Okay. Now go. <laughs> now you can talk. Now he's frozen. I also recollect a question <laughs> Captain Nick posed regarding what the process was for getting a medical at the moment. I can only speak to my experience, but in brief, there are only a handful of locations you can go to to get an initial class one done in the UK, which meant at the time I booked mine, 2022, the waiting time was about six months. I opted at the time to get both the EASA and the CAA class one medicals done as the school I was going to be attending at the time, sadly now closed, offered dual FATPL licenses. 
the AME I used made the process very streamlined and gave me the option of choosing the EASA, the EASA state or country I wanted my medical processes with. They also provide recommendations if you don't have a preference. It was certainly not cheap with the cost of the medical being simply doubled. So it cost me £1,200, that's $1,400, or nearly $1,500, depending on the exchange rate. Uh, in total, simply for an extra set of paperwork to be completed and sent off. Such is aviation, I suppose. Well, you're quite right there. I have opted to get both medicals renewed, about £300, which is only £90 extra for both compared to one, whilst I work out what I'm going to do for the next stages of my training. Uh, I may have to ask the AME next week if go-around acillin has been certified by the CAA yet. Well, I hope not, because we kind of rely on you know people catching that. Um, at the rate at which I'm working my way through the back catalogue, sometimes as many as three in a day. Oh, my Lord. Eva, <laughs> oh, what are you thinking? Um, means I may run out of aviation podcasts to binge on a daily basis by mid-next year. And I'm already feeling the anxiety creep in. That's just one of the symptoms. I'm not sure that that's an admission to be proud of or make publicly, but there you go. Hopefully, at least some of my ramblings have been vaguely interesting. Well, they certainly have. Blue Absolutely. skies and go around a ceiling for all. Best wishes, Eva. Well, I'm sorry you made such a meal of that, Eva, but that was great feedback. That was Thanks great, Eva. Thank you. Awesome feedback, and I'm just desperately trying to find the go-around-a-cillin. By the way, CAP stands for Civil Aviation Publication. CAP civil aviation for civil publication aviation is what a CAP stands for. There you go. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought. Thanks, Liz. Oh, no, no, it won't stand for that then. Uh, I don't know where that is, but it will be in the uh, in the audio podcast. <sighs> Number fourteen, and then wind this baby up. Thank, Eva, thank you so much for sending that in, and I'm so sorry that we butchered it, or I pretty much butchered, butchered it. Um, I didn't mean to, but apparently I've had too much troublemaker wine, and it's causing <laughs> yes. trouble. It's good um, stuff, that, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but a uh, note well. to self, don't, don't drink the stuff when you're doing a show. Um, I'm still trying to Where's scramble to find uh, where we stuff. are in the, the shimmy damper. Yeah, Liz. Yes. Uh, that would be a great name not, for a wine, actually. I, I'm not quite that bad. Um, number yeah, 14. Steph has, still has me bet, beat. Uh, number Eva's 14. taking it all in stride. Here she goes. Thank you, Eva. Uh, sorry about that. Anyway, it was very, very nice to meet you. And I'm glad that uh, uh, Tarek and uh, Pip have been helpful for you, and I'm sorry. There, Jeff. Uh, I see that Eva says not at all. I've been laughing my head off the whole time. Yeah, I'll bet you have, at our expense. <laughs> you know, I thought she was a nice person, but now I'm thinking I don't know. Well, she she purposely gave us this email, this this feedback with all these words, knowing <laughs> that at this point of the show, there's no yeah. way we could possibly do it right. That's true. It's very hard though to send an email feedback without using words jeff mm -hmm. 
Oh, guys. you can you can send an audio feedback. Move it along. Oh, that's true. That way we don't have audio to do it. feedback next time, please, Eva. Yes, no, audio no. feedback. That way we don't have to read it. Number which fourteen. Which is sometimes a challenge. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Liz. I I, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Um, I'm sorry. Let's see. Uh, Liz is back here just doing this. There we go. Ow. Um, this is from Tim Q. This is a great Hi, piece of feedback. And I have not even read this yet. Uh, Liz says it's great feedback from Tim Qualls in Arkansas. Thanksgiving is coming up here in the U.S. at least, and I thought I'd take the time this year to actually reach out and say thank you to those in my life who are important to me. And then he lists all these people that we don't know in Arkansas. No, no, no. Who's that first one? That sounds, she sounds dreadful. Oh, okay. Wait, wait. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he says, Liz, thank you for all the work that you put into the show behind the scenes. And while we're doing the show as well, I can only imagine the hours you spend to make the show what it is, at least as much as you can, with some of the yahoos you have to deal with <laughs> and organize yeah, like uh, like Steph and Nixie and he Rick because they not here. They're not here. Thankfully, they're not on the show today, so we don't have any of the yahoos with me or with us. Um, let's see. Uh, that's why it's such a blessing that Jeff includes some of your audio in the show to demonstrate. Your hard work as well. You were already with the show before I started listening, so I don't know how it was before. It was a lot better, actually. But I'm sure <laughs> you made it much better. No, she's made it much better, actually. Uh, I, and now, honestly, this is a sign. This is Jeff speaking. Um, Liz is amazing, and she's incredible, and I'm so happy that I asked her to help me. Um, you know, be my assistant oh, and you're help out happy with the organization. We're delighted. <laughs> Well, I know. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, you. most everybody would have been gone by now, I'm sure. Like, uh, oh, I'm not going to put up with yeah, it was lack of organization. I know, shambles. Becoming? It was already a bit of a shambles. And Liz felt sorry for me and us, yeah. uh, you guys probably, mostly, and uh, said, oh, yeah, I better help out before, you know, this whole thing implodes. So, now, uh, I think yeah, I should sh read the next paragraph, Jeff. Please do. Okay. Captain Jeff, I believe I heard you say you started podcasting in 1809. So, no, 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 no. That's not what it says. <laughs> 2009. In 2009. So, I'm very new as a listener still, but thank you for taking the first step of beginning a podcast and putting yourself out there. I'm not sure how it was imagined to be, but I'm very thankful for what the community. Oh, sorry, for what the community you've created has become. That's good. That made that work. And uh, that I get to be a small part of it. Thank you for always being so respectful to those of us who are just enthusiasts and may never fly for real. And thanks for taking time to meet me last year when I passed through Atlanta. I was headed to a race, but the highlight for me was the meetups I got to do while in Atlanta. Well done, sir. Oh, thank you very much, Tim. And it was it's all my pleasure. I mean, that's the best part of doing all of this. And no, I never expected at all that it would turn in, or I, I didn't imagine what would happen as far as the community and all that kind of stuff. And and the community kind of just built itself. I just was the dude with the with a recorder and a microphone, wanting to play, you know, radio. If it guy. wasn't for your magnetic attraction. Jeff, the community wouldn't have conglomerated exactly. the way it is. You, ah, you, yeah, yeah, whatever. you opened the door. We just walked through it. It was brilliant. Ah, well, I'll never open that door again. <laughs> Jeff, you pick it up again now. Yeah. 
Okay, time for me to pick it up. <laughs> Is he going for another bottle of wine? <laughs> Picking up. Oh, oh, you're talking about me uh, continuing with the with the feedback. Okay, Captain Nick, what yes, to sir. say to the old curmudgeon? That hmm. can be repeated on the podcast. <laughs> Not a lot, actually. Absolutely nothing. I think it was you I heard say one time that our Independence Day is y'all's Thanksgiving, so I guess I'm either early or late for yours. Is that true? When's, when's your uh, Thanksgiving? Is it around the beginning of July? We don't, uh, we don't July? do this thing. We call they it Traitor's Day, know, and we, we certainly don't <laughs> celebrate it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the British have nothing to be thankful for, apparently. Um, and anyway, here, back to Tim. Uh, if it wasn't you, it sure sounds like something you'd say. Uh, thank you for sharing your personal flying stories. It's always so fascinating to get to listen to some of the adventures you've had. And I'm sure that there are many more that you could tell. Yes, I'm sure there are. And for photography tips, you've provided me along the way. I especially want to thank you for opening up and sharing. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a separate thing. Uh, and for photography tips, you've provided uh, me along the way. So he's thankful for that. I especially want to thank you for opening up and sharing about your own struggles before when I've written in about mental health issues. You didn't have to do that, but you chose to in order to try to encourage someone else. It helps more than you'll ever know, even just knowing I'm not alone in the struggles and that people I respect so much also have been through it as well. As an aside, yeah, I'm, I'm nice. interrupting his feedback. I still, I think one of the most significant things that I've experienced on this show was when we were up in Pittsburgh at that Courtyard Inn in the Courtyard, uh, recording a live show at um, Wings Over Pittsburgh. And somebody, I, maybe it was Tim, I don't know who wrote in and, and had a question about um, mental health issues. And and I didn't know any of this. And... and uh, Captain Nick started talking about some of, you know, what he had gone through. And I'd never heard this before. And I was, I was sitting there thinking, I cannot believe that I'm hearing this right now. This was just completely, it just completely blew me away. And it was so, it, it just, at that moment, it made me realize the power of, uh, of this show. So thank Absolutely. you, Captain Nick, for and doing And if there are people out there who, um, you know, who, do suffer and they are worried about it. it it's an illness like any other illness you can get and like any other illness if you take the right attitude to it you can be cured and you can get back on your life uh, like nothing ever happened uh, so you know just just open your heart up to those who've been there before we'll tell you uh, uh, and help you any way we can and go to the medical professionals because they are the experts in the field and um you know have a positive attitude about your life and uh you know you will come through the other end there's no doubt about it i can promise it i managed it if i could do it anyone can do it and it's obvious it's it's not just an isolated limited thing because we've just talked about even earlier in this show about what the faa is doing about it it's it's a, it's yep. a major it's a big thing and it's yep. so refreshing that uh, the uh, the FAA is doing something about it. And uh, yeah, it's about time. Anyway, thank you, Nick. I'll, I'll never forget that experience. It was amazing. Um, Dr. Steph, 
Thank you for sharing the stories of you, of you skydiving, running, and you've also inspired my desire to visit every state now <laughs> myself too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, Steph is like, she's amazing. She's like, if there's some kind of a competition, she's going to be in it and she's going to try to win it. So yeah. if it's um, trying to, to visit every state before your dad, well, you know, game on. <laughs> yes. Um Anyway, um, I'm hoping y'all do tandem jumps at your school. Yeah, they do. Because someday my goal is to jump out of an airplane. You're flying. As odd as that sounds to say. <laughs> yeah, make sure make sure you have a parachute on. <laughs> yes, that's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, if I was in an airplane, Steph was on, I'd just jump out, you know. Parachute <laughs> I wouldn't get or not, to begin I'd just with. go, oh, I'm not sticking around to see the end of this. I'd walk out and go, oh, I see Dr. Steph at the controls and go, uh-uh, not doing that. <laughs> yeah, <it's> <laughs> Just I've kidding. I've got a Steph. cold. I'm sorry. I've yeah, she's, a cold. I'm sure she's not listening. Um, no, okay. she never listens. No, she doesn't. Um, she doesn't need to. Um, okay, so you're, so she, he's uh, talking about Steph still. Your knowledge of safety and the importance of it is amazing to listen to from a GA perspective. And great getting to say hi at AirVenture this year. Yeah, Steph's cool. awesome. Uh, Macho Man Nick, also great to say a quick hello from our Before the Photo at Air Venture. Again, I really appreciate listening to your input from the GA side of things, especially now that you have your AMP as well and can fill in for Captain Rick when he's missing. <laughs> uh, let's see. Speaking, speaking of Captain Rick, I think you and Liz are the only two I haven't got to meet in person yet. I love it when we get to hear the rickets chirping because that means you're explaining something plain enough even, that even us simple-minded ground-based people can understand it. Your knowledge of the systems is just amazing. I agree. We all agree. Rick is amazing. Yep. Captain Dana, of course, I can't leave you out. First, congratulations on moving back to Captain. Thank you for taking the time to meet up last year. Sharing a meal with someone is supposed to be one of the most important things and so that you would take time on a holiday weekend to meet up was very much appreciated. Thank you all for the input you've provided to APG as well. Your frankness, no, thank you for all the input you've provided to APG as well. Your frankness and knowledge of the CPI side of things is always helpful. It was a bit long, but hopefully enough flattery will make it, uh, will make the show. Yeah, you hit the the, the, at least a little bit more than the 50% level of flattery that's required to be uh, <laughs> feedback on the show, Tim. Uh, anyway, if not, let me know how much to contribute to the coffee fund so I can make the show. Oh, Liz, you didn't tell me that that was the last fa- paragraph. I would have started off by um, asking him to give us more money before we can actually read this feedback. Oh, it's too late now, I guess. I really do appreciate each one of y'all. Each of you choose to take time out of your week to create a show for us to enjoy, and it doesn't go unnoticed how much each of you contribute. There have been times I've thought about stopping listening, since I probably won't ever make pilot. But you all seem like family to me, and I miss hearing your voices in my head while I'm driving. Thank you all so much, and look forward to many, many more. Thank you. Can I just come on air and say thank you, too? Tim, what's that? I just want oh. to say thank you to Tim on air. Okay. Well, stay here. That's, that's great. We're at the end yeah. of the show anyway, so you just stay with us. Um, 
Yeah, uh, Liz, I hope you get a chance to, I'm sure you will, uh, meet Tim Qualls. He's an awesome person. I still remember meeting him in person for the first time when we were at Oshkosh back in 2019. And it was the, um, we went to the the seaplane area of the, you remember that, Nick? The uh, uh, Yeah, indeed. Where they, Over at the lake. And he was with us there. Yeah, at the yeah. lake, uh, Lake Winnebago. And yeah. Um, yeah. And I've met up with uh, Tim a couple of times since then, and he is just a solid dude. And you know what? You know, you say, well, even though I'm not a pilot, I probably won't make pilot public. Well, you know, if I've never done a demographic survey of our audience, but I would imagine that a majority of our audience probably are not pilots. And it's are people like you, Tim, who uh, are just have a have a significant interest and passion for aviation, and you just like listening to us shoot the breeze and talk about this stuff. And I think that's the most important thing of what we do here is the fact that we just enjoy trying to entertain you, try to be funny. Sometimes we are good at that and sometimes not so much. (laughs) (laughs) Or sometimes it's like people like me probably having too much troublemaker wine and being funny without actually intending to be funny. Um, (laughs) But that's okay. I I love it. I like people making fun of me. Um, I think that one of the things that we really stress here is that, you know, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be uh, super serious. You can kind of not take yourself very seriously and be, um, anyway, I, I just think it's, it's something that we, we enjoy doing. It's, we like being real people, which is what we are. And we like, um, you know, just entertaining our community and, and trying to educate people. And it's definitely not a podcast that is made for pilots. We know that a large part of our audience is our large oh. part yeah. is oh. pilots or are whatever <laughs> one of those words uh pilots are a considerable part of our audience for sure but i think that they are maybe slightly the minority and most of us uh, most of you out there listening are um are non-pilot yeah and a lot of the people i've spoken to come from all sorts of walks of life other professions uh, or just enthusiasts uh, sim pilots um, aircraft spotters or just people who are intrigued and uh, amazed by aviation in the same way that we are which is why we yeah. you know work so hard to get into the industry well, I just wanted to say thank you to Tim for taking the time to write all that down to us and send it in. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it really is so wonderful for us to hear from you and that you appreciate what, what we all do every week. We love it. We do it because we love it. But I'm glad to know that you do, Tim, and I really look forward to meeting you someday. Well said. You will, I'm sure, and uh, very well said. And not only do we love what we do, but we love you all. And uh, we hope that that comes across. I think it does. And um, yeah, so, wow. That is such a nice piece of feedback. We're going to wrap things up. All right, wrap it up. All right, so Wrap it up. let's talk about uh, the website, airlinepilotguy.com. It's a place where you can find all kinds of information about the, the crew and the community and the calendar and merchandise and the library and more information about plane tales and a lot more. 
You can even go to the speed pipe if you'd like. Um, and uh, <laughs> you can't we, speed there. <laughs> well, that's what we're going to call it from now on. Paul, you might have something there, speed pipe. Um, and uh, we're also on social media. And Captain Nick is going to eloquently explain He's to so you good all. At this. All about suffering. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now if if you're interested Whatever. in uh, meta-owned facey bookie, <laughs> then uh, the ye olde facey bookie, then uh, do a search in uh, the search bar for airline pilot guy, all one word. And is that um, your if, is that your American accent right there? No, no, it's Canadian. And uh, ah. if you. <laughs> If you're an ex twatterer I mean, you know, X is now Twitter, uh, then it's at APG Crew. And if you're a follower on Instagram, we don't post a lot. I stick all the artwork up there out of interest. But uh, that's uh, on Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. <laughs> it's just APG Crew. And where's wow. that uh, Hillel? Where that, is he? He's been very that, quiet up to now, isn't I'm he? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm still so taken by how well that went, that, that whole social media <laughs> yeah. thing. Um, thank you very much for that. We love I mean, it. Steph's We're probably true shaking in her boots. <laughs> yeah, she's thinking, ah, I'm not going to. I've lost my job doing this social media thing. All right. Uh, <laughs> by the way, never mind. No, Let's see. On. Go on. What were you going to say? <laughs> oh, my God. It sounds like you've got a leak in the bathroom. I was going to say, I want to apologize for the fact that I'm not a big social media person. I do it because we, we're out there as a podcast and social media is something that we're supposed to use. <laughs> Me, personally, um, I don't, I'm, I'm not there as much as I should be, and I apologize for that. I should be out there more, but it just... I guess I'm too old or something. I don't know. I'm just not hip anymore. Um, anyway, so let's see if... Um, you can get new hips, you know. I don't want to get new hips. I like mine, the, one, the ones that I have. Hello? Hello, Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. How are your hips? All right. Uh, he's going to come over here and tell us all about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks, Hillel. Appreciate Come back, it. Jeff. You missed the spot. Ow. Mm. So, <laughs> you flicked him with the towel. He he's he's trying to flick me with that darn towel. <laughs> Get away from me with that! Ow! <laughs> darn it! That's it. We're gonna find somebody else to do the slack thing. Okay. Um, what else do we want to say? Oh, we want to thank Liz, of course. For Three. yes, as, as Tim job. just mentioned, and so many have in the past. I mean, honestly. I know you probably think, oh, you're just doing that because you're afraid of Liz and her whip. We are a bitch. Which is part, <laughs> that is part, actually part part yeah. of it. 
But honestly, it's more than that. Uh, Liz is more to me than you guys know. Uh, she is like my personal assistant. She's, or my, actually, she's like my big sister. She's with me all the time when I'm doing these road trips and everything else. She's out there keeping track of me and making sure I stay out of trouble. And then, of course, when I try to relay all my, all my information about what I did on my road trip and I'm, I get it completely wrong, she's there to help <laughs> try to straighten me out. And, and damn Just it, a she's little bossy. I'll, damn it, she's always right. That's the thing that really kind of irks me. But, uh, that's Not why we love it. Yeah, mostly. You're welcome, guys. <laughs> my, my pleasure. You know it's my pleasure. Well, thank you, Liz. Fifty percent. Oh, she's like close to a hundred percent, and hundred <laughs> percent. Um, so she really, uh, no, Liz, you really mean so much to me. Thank you for everything you do, and I, I'm not just saying that for the show. So. Back at you, Jeff. Back at you, Nick. Thank Cheers. you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. All right. So with that, we're going to sign off, and Thank we're not going to put Lord you through any that. more misery. <laughs> I know. <it's> like, <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, it's over. Sorry. Uh, we're sorry it took so long for us to get to this point. Um, and we hope that you're back with us next week and wishing you all clear skies, unlimited visibility, talons, Douglas. Goodbye, everybody. See you next time. I hope not. <laughs> you hope not. <laughs> oh my god. Week off. <laughs> I probably should, just to kind of let everybody recover from this. Oh, uh, yeah, indeed. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. a good good pilot till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how guy I fly away